0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show
1: description to support now.
2: It's crazy. I mean, you know, I was on tour with Slow Work, and, and I got a call that, uh, you know, paid my stand wanted to talk to me. So I imagine that's like, that's like the weirdest, shockingly strange callers Like, who? I'm sorry, you know? <laughs> Like DJ Mustaine, I mean, it's it's, it's
1: crazy. Drum for the Song Podcast Hello,
0: everybody. This is another episode of Drum for the Song Podcast. I am your host, Dane Campbell, and I'm absolutely thrilled and honored to introduce you to today's guest, which is Dirk Viburen, who's the current drummer of Megadeth. How cool is that? How are you, Dirk?
2: I'm doing great, Dan, and very uh, pleased to be here chatting with you today. Thanks for having
0: me. Uh, my absolute pleasure. Um, I understand you've been very busy on tour with Megadeth for the last maybe month or so. So, first of all, how has that gone? How has it, how has it been getting back on the road and on tour?
2: Well, it was nice you know, to finally go back to do what we love. Right. Uh, it's been such a strange time for everybody. And, and we didn't know when we'd be able to go back. But this tour has been from a standpoint of what you expect from a tour. It's been great. There's been tons of people at every show. Lots of shows were sold out. Obviously, a huge pleasure you know, to play in front of so many people. And just to play with the guys again after, after all this time, it's been you know, very rewarding feeling for sure.
0: Oh, yeah, I imagine it must be amazing. Um, I've been following you for a while now, so I've seen all of your photographs from behind the kit and some great photos of you as well playing. So, yeah, it looks great. The show looks great. Um, And, yeah, I can't wait to catch you guys whenever you're coming to the UK next, or maybe, maybe as I did mention to you in an email, that we're playing uh, Grass Pop together, so hopefully we'll get to catch up then as well, but, you know, if not beforehand... So that's going yes. to be a great festival next year in Belgium for anyone listening. I'm sure you've heard yes. of it <laughs> if you if you live in <laughs> Europe. Um but it's an incredible lineup for the whole for the whole weekend. Um yeah, it's amazing. So yeah, we're, we're lucky to be on the same day, myself and Dirk and yeah, I'm yes. looking forward It's one of the highlights of next year, I yeah. think, for me. And and Pretty for true.
2: you? It's going to be a blast.
0: <laughs> yeah, and 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 for you because you're actually from Belgium, right?
2: Yes, correct.
0: Yeah, the home oh, country. That's amazing. I, I, I was, I just played a show there on the weekend. Actually, it was called Headbangers Balls Festival. <laughs> so I, I, it's only a small <laughs> one, like a, s- a small indoor thing. so we were, we were supporting a band. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, Orange Goblin. Do you know who they are? Yes. Oh, there yes, you go. yes, I know who they are.
2: Yeah. So they, yeah. they, were the headline.
0: Yeah, they're a great band and friends of ours. So um, yeah, it was, it was a cool indoor show in in belgium somewhere i i can't remember the name of the town but it looked nice but it was raining and it was a bit miserable but you know everyone was up for the rock and roll and it was cool so um the, the, this kind of rewind time then so growing up how long did you live in belgium for then and when did you get into the drums and ha- like, can you just tell us about your story of how you discovered the drum kit
2: certainly yes um i lived in belgium until i was about um i think i was Eleven or twelve years old, I don't remember exactly. Um, and at that point, I hadn't started drumming yet. I actually, my first my first instrument was the violin, actually, believe it or not. It should, ah. I guess yes. at the young the young age of six, I expressed to my parents that I wanted to play violin. They had some musical program, uh, an offer in the school, and it turns out that my aunt had a violin that she used to play when she was there. So she said, "Well, I'll borrow that that to you guys. If you can have it for." to practice with. And so I I played violin
0: for six or seven years. Wow. Wow. And and I I remember when I was a kid in school and the violin seemed like one of the more difficult instruments that you could choose. I don't know. That's that's where I, that was my um, perception of it anyway, coming from a family of guitars and drums. It was like, oh my God, the violin, you wear a bow and there's no frets and, and it must be so hard to play accurately and stuff like that. So yeah. Well done, man. <laughs> yeah. I,
2: I remember it being tricky. You know, I remember I've, one of the hardest things for me as a kid that stands out was just the position you needed to have. Just, you know, I've always kind of been the slumped over kind <laughs> of guy. Even when I was younger, I wasn't really paying attention to
0: my uh, posture enough. I can make many bad, people do.
2: The position you had to have with your arm out and, yeah. you know, yeah. head up straight and, and then, you know, just... It would be really tiring after a while, and I think that's probably how I kind of ended up not playing
0: if I went after (laughs) all. Fair enough, fair enough. But I'm sure. I guess it was a good start for you, like your musical journey, because I know you play other instruments as well. Um, Yeah. So yeah. So going back to the drum kit. So what? How did you kind of first start playing that? Then.
2: Yeah. So um, I was always into music and always around music. Um, I was very fortunate. That my parents um, both had, you know, a lot of various musical tastes, often had the radio on, which I would, you know, record songs on cassette from the top 30 on Saturday and stuff. And, and they also had vinyl. So, and, and my dad would make it a point to introduce me to different things and hey, check this out, this is the this, you know, Zeppelin, uh, you know, whatever. You know, just anything, T-Rex. I remember a big T-Rex fan, obviously, stuff like the Beatles and the Stones, all the classics. And so at age nine, when I was still in Belgium, I actually bought my first vinyl myself with my allowance money that they gave me every Sunday or whatever. So I bought bought Purple Rain. That was the first one. Oh, cool. And a huge race fan still to this day. And and so a few years later, um, my dad got a job in Paris. And so we moved there. And going to an international school outside of Paris really put me in touch with more of the extreme music you know at the time i was heavily into hip-hop uh you can maybe see my Run dmc show oh, cool. i was heavily into that and uh beastie boys and all that stuff you know public enemy L-L-L-J, like all the 80s stuff that was getting really big at the time i loved that and very beat driven right yeah. um uh, at the same time i was also listening to like europe and bon jovi like you know acdc whatever was on the radio that was kind of heavy also uh piqued my interest and of course, you had Kerry King playing, you know, a guitar lead on the first Beastie Boys album. Their connections were being made. So anyways, once in France and in this international school where I was surrounded by a very vast community of people coming from all across the globe, I started having friends from Scandinavia, from the U.S., from the Netherlands, and that were all into different fans of music. And we all skateboarded, too, so we would all go skate together and stuff would be played on the boombox. And I would start tape trading with people, you know, to so hear stuff and be like, "What's this? This is killer, you know? Oh, that's Metallica. What's this? Oh, Megadeth, suicidal, you know, uh, Slayer, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. And so that's how, how I really got into all the heavy stuff, which then eventually led me to to the drums a few years later because I was just so into the rhythm. And I remember I was always tapping along with the, the tapes, you know, I played the tapes while I was supposed to be doing homework, but I just had my yeah school stuff in front of me, and I'm like, playing the drums on my desk. And so one day my dad goes, don't you think we need to get you like some drum kits so you can do this for real? And I was like, sure, dad.
0: <laughs> That's amazing that they suggested it, because normally it's the yeah. kid, kid nagging the parents. <laughs>
2: yeah, always very encouraging. You know, they were always, um, they always welcomed anything I was interested in, whether it was, you know, skateboarding or video games or, you know, that for some parents would be like you gotta watch out he's gonna turn into a mess you know but they always they always somehow just trust that that I kind of separate right from wrong I guess and and I guess they were right just to this day like I, I never did drugs you know I don't smoke I, I it's been you know I don't drink alcohol for the last 15 years or whatever oh wow yeah. wow around the time my wife and I got married so I'm very much pretty much a straight edge guy
0: yeah <laughs> cool No, I I, I do like the occasional beer, but yeah, I'm not into any of the other stuff. I've never smoked a cigarette as well, so quite similar. I do still enjoy the odd beer, but I'm not, you know, I don't like two or three is enough for me normally. I don't like to kind of lose control. I kind of like, I like getting that little buzz and, you know, if I maybe enjoy myself a little bit more then, but um, yeah, I, I, I know how to control it, which is good. But yeah anyway that's not not important <laughs> but um, no but cool that that's that's always great to hear how it worked and quite quite interesting that you were into hip hop because knowing you you know you you play like extreme forms of metal which even I don't know a lot about in fairness my my I was brought up I guess with hard rock classic rock you know heavy metal and I guess the big four as you know you've mentioned um but and then I, I had a, like a new metal phase when I was a teenager and stuff like that because I'm that kind of age. But yeah, in terms of all the extreme right. stuff that I know you you do a lot of, like grindcore. I like I don't really understand even what is what grindcore is exactly and and things like that. So it's quite interesting to speak to you, and I was hoping you might be able to at least from a drumming point and perspective, maybe explain. What the traits are of the kind of different forms of metal that you're involved with at least would you mind doing right. that for me and maybe some of the other listeners no.
2: I'll, I'll try my best um <laughs> <laughs> you know the grand core thing is funny because even some of the you know the purveyors like i think of people like you know obviously old Napalm death lineups like nick harris is supposedly uh one who coined that term back in the day. He used to have all these crazy terms on the record you know, like Holocaust, whirlwind, tornado, you know. has like this thing that people nowadays like lovingly will copy, you know, because he was doing all this stuff. Um, but he even doesn't really take that seriously, you know. And I you'll hear, you'll hear people like Jeff Walker from Carcass also kind of laugh about it and be like, I always thought that was a stupid term, rancor, like what is that <laughs> but of course that's that's for the people who are on the inside of that movement which was very much by the way in, in the uk you know your country that, that's very much where you know uh part of that movement was born uh, mm-hmm. even though a lot of influences did come from notably repulsion here in, in uh, michigan in the u.s you know they were one of the uh the very early bands to kind of push the speed because basically grindcore for me like to sum it up it's like it's basically like thrash and death metal, but taken to the extreme and right. somehow with more punch in it, you know. And thirty degrees of that like repulsion had a punch side to the execution, not so much to the lyrics. the lyrical content is more what you would associate with death metal, which is core and you know, horror stories and that kind of stuff. But in England especially, the grindcore movement with bands like napalm death carcass, you know, and then all the other bands that were surrounding like the early earache days, you know, was very politically opinionated and, and very much had lyrics that, you know, wanted to bring a message, like Tarkus was notably a vegetarian vegan, and the reason they did those uh, early, you know, kind of ugly, nasty uh, early record covers was kind of to shove that in people's faces, like, this is what you eat, you know? Oh, I didn't um, know
0: that, I didn't know and that. Then,
2: and then, yeah, and early Napalm Death is very, you know, I mean, Napalm Death is still obviously a political band. His party is, is you know, a very opinionated guy and doesn't hesitate to speak his mind at any concert or any interview. But uh, they always had that element, which obviously came from punk. So I think they kind of took punk and just started playing faster and faster and shorter songs. And, you know, so Grand Court to me is like a lot of blast beats, usually pretty short songs. Uh, opinions and just a, a general attitude that kind of feels like, yeah, this is the grindcore, you know? And then yeah. of course, there's like different variants and the you know, gore grind and whatnot, and all kinds of different things that <laughs> pop up over time with weird names. And, you know, but I think at the end of the day, those things really come down to what it needs to you as a person in a specific time. And for me, it was just the revolutionary thing that by the way, I didn't understand at first at all whatsoever. Um, I heard that stuff on tapes so that people would copy to me and be intrigued by it, but not really get it. And then I remember buying Scum, which is Napalm's first album. I had a sticker on it at the time that said world's fastest band. So and I was super into like, you know, fast drumming and stuff. So I was like, I need to have this, right? So I bought it. And I remember bringing it home and putting it on, on my turntable and being like, what is this bunch of noise? And I remember telling my dad like, is there a way you can return records to the store and like exchange them? You know, like I didn't get it at
1: all.
2: He's <laughs> like, no, nah, I think you're stuck with that one. You know, so I, you know, to my credit at the time, and, and this is before obviously Spotify, etc. Now it's just be like, I don't like this next, you know. But at the time, you kind of like, oh, I spent ten bucks on this. I give this a chance, and you know, I got it. So the next day, I put it on again. Or the next day again, and now of course it's one of my favorite albums of all time. But it really needed to sink in and kind of, you know, my, my brain needed to kind of come to terms with the, the, the ruckus that was happening.
0: <laughs> That's cool, yeah, because it's the kind of thing that I guess I've never actively put it on myself to listen to. I, I guess I've heard it in passing, maybe seen the old band at a festival and not really understood what's going on. So, maybe, yeah, maybe I need to give it a chance, especially from a technical musician perspective, which I do – always really appreciate the skill right. involved because I'm a, I just, you know, I'm a rock drummer, I do a bit of double kick, you know, you know, triple or two in there I'm not, I know, I'm not a technical drummer. I try and blag a little bit of very basic jazz and stuff, but when it comes to like the extreme, really fast stuff, I've never got to that level. Um, although I do want to, you know, speed up the feet at least and, and maybe, get to the point where I can kind of do a blast beat for a decent amount of time. And like, I know, I know you're, you know, very good at that kind of style, but it's just because I've I've never played that style of music. It's never forced myself out of my comfort zone to kind of learn it. But it's one thing I've wanted to do, especially since starting this podcast last Mm -hmm. year, and I'm speaking to more metal drummers and, and I guess I'm playing bigger stages, and it makes me think, "Oh man, I suck compared to that guy. <laughs> so, yeah. so um, yeah, I don't know, that's the way I feel, but um, no, that's cool. um that's great, so yeah, um, so from a drumming perspective, would you say you were more influenced by those kind of drummers, or was it was there any people in particular that you really respected and admired when you started playing
2: yeah, you know. It was bad, but there were, it was always diverse. It wasn't just one thing. I mean, of course, I had my teenage phase where it needed to be like fast and extreme, or else, you know, I didn't even care, you know. And that, that, that phase did happen. But at the same time, like I said, I grew up, you know, with stuff like what was on the radio, Prince, you know, Madonna, you name it, whatever was good in the early 80s when I was a kid. And so I always retained my love for that, even though maybe during those years, I wouldn't have admitted as much to my friends. Like, uh, it was always there. And I remember when I, when my dad did get me a, a secondhand little drum kit, which was my first one, a little Mac Stone, I remember it was, and it didn't have any uh, resonant heads. It was one of those old-school oh, right. oh. kits, you know? Yeah, <laughs> And I remember I was playing, yeah, sure, I was trying to play along to obituary and, and suffocation and whatnot you know the napalm myth and all that stuff more than but at the same time i was also trying to play like red hot chili pepper songs or primus or you know my dad would tell me hey check out this this jazz record uh uh you know they they back take five like you played me that song which is notoriously in five four right yeah because i didn't really probably know what that was but I tried to play along to it like i would just put everything in the headphones you know put it on tape or whatever put it in the headphones and just try to follow along so i think i'm very thankful that there were so many different things that were welcomed in my family um, my, my parents were both huge classical music fans so there was a lot of that always on to it and, and i think it just gave me a broader perspective before i knew that that was important you know what i mean so it wasn't a conscious decision to be like oh i should do a lot of different things it just kind of happened and I think it was hugely beneficial after you know when it came to actually do this for Leo, I realized that I had more going for me than just taping one specific drummer or one specific band and even though people like Dave Lombardo were always like what motivated me to keep going because I just really love his flow and his style and the ideas he came up with you know that just sounded uniquely like him at the time, I also didn't realize that I needed to do that myself because I wasn't even thinking I would ever do drumming for real. You know, when you're a kid, you're like you don't think in those terms. You're just like school's done. I want to go upstairs and play some drums. You know, that's that's as far as the thinking went for me, right? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, man. So yeah, pretty similar for me. I just used to come home from school, and I guess I at that age I was more into my like punk rock, pop punk stuff, and I was just playing along to Travis Barker songs and stuff. But that really helped me um and then i remember yeah it was a it, you know it was all rock in the rock world but yeah i did you know i was into some of the metal stuff but it was the more mainstream stuff like i mentioned before um obviously yeah. with my with my my dad's band i used to listen to that since i was a little kid so the motörhead stuff was a big influence on me and of course yeah. and, and stuff like that which is just is cool to have um yeah yeah but yeah, i i agree with you I mean listening to a, a wide style of 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 music and in general it just helps your brain appreciate things and it probably makes you a better musician overall um when it comes to being creative i suppose
2: Cause it, yeah you know I, I tend to agree with that i mean there are exceptions of course because there are people who just do one thing and do it really well and that's all they need you know and, and yeah. for some people that works out so it's not like a rule to success or something like that no. But I, I just like the fact that I like music. You know, for me, it doesn't have to be fit in a category. The categories are there to kind of, you know, I guess be able to explain to people what something is. But beyond that, I view every band as a band. You know, and yeah. like if I go listen to your music, I'm not gonna have any frequency notion about like, oh, it should fit into this box. You know, I'm just gonna listen to it and be like, ah. Oh what does it make me feel, you know, and I still have that approach to this day. And, and I think that's the way it should be, you know, be yeah. open to it before you make a decision about
0: it. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, man. That's, that's the way to be. That's amazing. Um, so let, let's talk a little bit about your, I guess, career before Megadeth. For people who don't know, I guess, from, from I guess, your professional career, let's talk about that and the, 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 what you did, if you don't mind explaining the little journey
2: yeah yeah sure thing so uh well i guess it started after i finished high school in paris um my my parents uh you know my my dad was a scientific researcher and so i kind of went towards that uh when it it comes to what i'm going to do but
1: as much as i enjoyed some of those
2: subjects i still do i'm still kind of into science and reading that i also just was really so much into music that at one point, my parents asked me, "What do you really want to do?" You know, I, said, well, I kind of want to do music, so they found me at a music school uh, in the city called Nancy, which is uh, northeast of France, kind of close to the German border. And um, so I went there. The eighteen months of studying music in a this is basically like an MI type school, you know, like a modern modern day school where you spend a lot of time playing drums in different styles, jamming with people, learning songs. Not like the old school uh, conservatory approach, but something more anchored in the music you and I grew up listening to. It. And, and of course, there started my first band, which is called Scarve, uh, which we ended up doing a bunch of albums with and some tours. And I also just started playing with a bunch of different people. So the, the years following that, you know, my, my journey through that school were very formative for me. First tours, you know, first kind of experience working with different bands. and. In Scarf, I was kind of my own. You know, I was kind of like the band leader in a way. Uh, Whereas in other bands, I have to like figure out, like, oh, sometimes it's not all about what I want. You know, so that was (laughs) was a rough journey at times because I kind of knew what I wanted already. But I learned a lot from all of those different experiences, you know, which eventually leads us to, um, or led me to in 2004, um, I got a call from Soilworks from Sweden that they needed a drummer to fill in for them on the tour and at that point i had done um, session work like studio recordings for people in various circumstances but i hadn't really done like uh, a tour with a major band you know like, filling in kind of on short notice though so, so that was kind of exciting and yeah i went with them of the tour and then after that came another tour and then like hey do you want to play on the next album and you know at that time scar of my own band was doing quite well we had actually just started to kind of our third album irradiance have good responses also outside of france and started playing some bigger shows big festivals etc so it was tricky to kind of be like what am i doing you know am I yeah. sticking with my own thing or going with this thing that's obviously a lot more established than when there where there's actually a salary to be made because you know, i was realizing this over but we can actually go on tour and come home and have money to pay the bills wow what's this you know, this was a new
0: for me. Yeah, that's the, well, that's. The, I think that's the dream for any musician: is can I play my if I can pay my bills? Yeah. By only playing music, even right. if it's, you know, even if it's just about enough, I think that's right. that's like uh, the minimum ultimate goal for anyone who wants to be a musician. So yeah, I can imagine you were like yeah, this is this is this is amazing. It's only recently I've been able to do that, right. pre you know, COVID. But right. you know, yeah, it yeah. took me a long a long time to get there.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's an eye-opening thing when that starts happening because again, I think that was, you know, as much as we were pursuing something like that, start, we were so far from it that it kind of never really occurred to me that it was a true possibility. You, know? just you don't foresee somebody calling you and be like, hey, you want to come play with us? You know, it just kind of happened, right? So yeah. I was like, whoa, okay, you know, this is cool, this is something new and we got along great with the slower guys and they wanted me in the band. So, Eventually, the following year, I joined. and became official, and um, and then from there on, I guess that was the start truly really of my, you know, professional journey as a musician, you know, where I was now able to uh, to pay the bills with it and to really focus on it. And I never toured like that; because touring was very heavily at the time, all across the world. You know, so I went to a bunch of places I'd never been to before. Nice, very, very exciting time. <laughs>
1: Yeah,
0: man. So, how how long were you in so work for then altogether? I'm
2: all together. Um, altogether, let's see. So, I started in early 2004, and then in, in 2016 was when I got the call for Negative, and I started playing with Megadeth in, in May of 2016. So, yeah, over 12 years. Wow, wow. wow. A bunch of records, a, a, a live Blu-ray size DVD. Um, I mean, it was a great time. You know, it was. I really learned a lot on so many levels. Uh, you know, I had been to the U.S. Uh, as a kid, but I just by that briefly did an exchange program and worked there, so I'd always loved America. But um, I met my then-to-be wife here in the States on tour with soil work and then subsequently moved to where yeah. I am now here in L.A. So that was a impactful uh, result of playing Absolutely. with soil work as well. You know? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: exactly oh that's that's such a cool story and um yeah just it's just it just shows that you grind a little bit at the start and learn your craft and then someone hopefully you know might pick up on it so did did, how did soil work discover you to initially ask you to play then did they see you live or hear something that you played on or
2: um so the way i understand or remember it happened is that it was the label boss at the time, a good friend of mine named Lauren Burl, He runs a, a label in France called Listenable Records. They released Soulwork's the first couple of albums before Soarworks moved on to uh, Nuclear Blast. And uh, Listenable was also a Scarves label. And so uh, Lauren would still send his records to his bands, even that they weren't on the label anymore, and keep in touch with their music, break Kind like that. And I guess they heard the, the Scar album I mentioned earlier, the radio, which is I think, you know, probably our most, in some way our most accomplished album that best production and stuff. And, and I guess they just heard the drumming and, and, you know, thought like, man, this guy, like, we want to have this guy in the band. You know, that's kind of how it happens. We asked Martin, you know, Lauren, and Lauren called me, hey, Peter Richards from Silver, so wants to talk to you as a cool if I could in my church. You know, I didn't know what it was. Yeah. Like, oh, cool, I like Silver. I wonder what he's going to say. You know, it was like, hey, you want to tour with us? So it was this crazy thing, but, Here's something I will say, though, which, you know, I, I bet some of the listeners are musicians and, and, or aspiring musicians. And one of the things that I really take away from what I went through in those times and kind of the journey and, like you said, the grinding part is that the fact that I was a very driven person uh, who always put the bar very high for themselves and subsequently for my band in the end really made a difference. Um, if you had told me that one day I would be like a metal session drummer, you know, back then I would be like, that doesn't even exist. You know, there's no way. I mean, sure. You had a few guys that, you know, like Gene and a few other people that were obviously, you know, so talented that, that they would play with various people and, and still do to the day, rightfully so. But for me, I never You know, as a little dude from Belgium living in France, a very non-metal country, you know. I never thought that I would be like a session drummer in LA like who can barely fit in all the recordings that get thrown at him, you know. So, yeah, here I am today, and I think it was a lot because with Scarve, I really wanted us to sound as good as the bands I was into, you know, which was Orbit Angels, Scrapping Your Lab, Fear Factory, like bands that have really high level of playing and production. And so we pushed really hard to get that stuff, you know, we went to Sweden to record our albums with Daniel Bergstrand, one of the best producers on the planet, a great friend of mine. And it took a while, you know, the first couple albums were, not you know, everything we hoped them to be as stuff. But eventually with the Radiant, we hit a thing where we could see that the response all of a sudden started changing and started reverberating outside of our country. And, you know, because the production was good, the songs were good, the playing was good. And that's kind of what we had always aimed for in a way. And I had always aimed for as a drummer as well. So spend spent a lot of hours working really hard at getting better. In the end, of course, you know, like I'm good friends with the Grosier, guys. right? To, to make a parallel with another French band. We I was kind of came say. up at the same time, played together a few times, you know, before either band had done much of anything. And they're great. I mean, they're so amazing. I saw them a couple weeks ago at Knotfest where we played. You know, yes. they're always just amazing. And I'm so so proud every time i see them because i feel like they kind of achieved what i was trying to achieve with Scar, which is like a band of friends you know just pushing their own music and, and making it internationally you know and those guys always had it they had the magic i remember from the early early shows you know they already have this stage presence where you could just tell like there's something special here oh, this man, should man. be you known in the world you know like, i felt that way about this so with us we didn't you know i didn't go that way for Scar, but I ended up being lucky in the sense that I ended up, you know, getting my own sort of career out of it because I pushed so hard for what those guys pushed for as well. You know, so sometimes you don't know the path it's going to take is basically the message I was going to give people. But if you keep pushing and you really just, you know, put the bar as high as you can for yourself, there's a good chance that, you know, a good result will come out of it.
0: That's great advice. And, it's, it's making me feel pretty crappy, to be honest, because I know I'm a little bit like always be. I don't know. I, I talk about this a lot. I, I've always been actively playing and actively gigging and you know writing songs with bands. But when it comes to actually improving my drumming, I'm probably not spending enough time on that. And I feel like I'm 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 thirty four now. Yeah. I'm sure this this still time. But I've I've probably spent the last fifteen years not improving as much as I could have on the instrument itself. And, and now, like I mentioned earlier on doing this podcast, I've been doing this for just over a year now, or a year and a half maybe. It's really inspired me now to kind of knuckle down and, and at least improve a little bit. You know, get get a few extra points and learn some new skills I never could do before and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I'm you know I, I take your advice on massively and it, you're a great example of of yeah just working hard really and, and it paying off and you getting a break and now you've obviously got another even bigger break um being recruited to play with megadeth which you know are you know they are one of the biggest metal bands you know around um so uh, similarly i'm assuming they were aware of your work or or maybe someone said oh check out this guy and then you've got the call. How did that work? How did that come about?
2: Yeah, I, I think so. You know, I, I um it's crazy. I mean, I was on tour with Slow Work and, and I got a call that uh, you know, Dave Mustaine wanted to talk to me, so I imagine that's like, that's <laughs> yeah. like the weirdest talking with his strange callers, like who? I'm sorry, you know? Yeah, man. <laughs> like Dave Mustaine? Um I mean it's 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 crazy, but yeah, I think, I think, again, the same thing that we, that we talked about kind of translated there, where, you know, I'm, I'm not ex- actually as active as I would like to be on online with on videos and all that, but, but I did post some here and there, and uh, soil work and, you know, reporting with uh, Devin Townsend and things like that, Just stuff where I, I kind of felt like, oh, this should probably be a moment where I should put a camera up and, and do something with it, you know. Because yeah. I usually just like to enjoy the moment and, and you know, once you start messing with cameras and stuff for me, it's like this heavy and you know. No, <laughs> like I, 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 that, you I
0: know totally, what I mean? I totally agree 'cause you you, you just want to be focusing on playing and warming up and yeah, making sure your your gear is right rather than setting up cameras and checking <laughs> they're charged up before and, and or play, you know, I, I know what you mean. I've done a little bit of filming my shows and it it just it's, you're thinking about something else you shouldn't be thinking of. And even like where the camera is, how are you looking on the camera? And I'm like, I don't want to be thinking about it. I'd rather just be focused, focused on playing. So I know what you mean, yeah, but, um, but yeah, you do have some great stuff on YouTube for anyone who does nice. want to check it out. I, I had a little browser earlier on and lots of other great interviews as well. So uh, I'm, I'm trying not to r- repeat everything too much, but, um, you know, there's a few, few other great interviews on on there that I've seen. Um, and scrolled yeah. scroll through and some great drum demonstration videos, um, which I'll bring up in a minute. I want to talk about the Dirk Blast.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll talk about that, yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, I, yeah, you know what I mean. So it's basically, you know, one of those things where with Megadeth, I guess, uh, different people in the camp had, you know, somehow known. Like, for instance, the, the drum pick at the time, was also my drum pick for the first years in the band, Tony Laureano, Amazing cover. Um, turns out I had toured with him with Scar back in 2002. We did oh, a, wow. tour, a tour opening for Nile in Europe, which was like our first big big European tour with Scar. And they were like the opening band. And Tony at the time was just, I don't know if you've heard his work with Nile, but he did one album with the uh, band on drums. But his work was just absolutely, you know, at the time, some of the most extreme drumming you could imagine hyper fast and technical He had like these uh, I remember as a drummer like this he had saw blades oh yeah uh, on his kit that he used kind of for effects so like you know like these high pitch so the, the story around that was funny like I, I would talk to, to him and and uh and his drunk they can joke about how he joins to hard work stores and be like you know with a not gun, stick like taking this out of different song like, you know? <laughs> Which is just brilliant,
0: right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so inventive and creative as well. Yeah, like exactly. That.
2: But so, yeah. So I knew Tony. You know, we had stayed in touch for the years. We became friends on that tour and, 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 and a lot of mutual uh, respect for, for each other as donors. And so he, he knew me, so he kind of bounced for me. I had like Kiko, uh, then, you know, freshly, like, you know, the guitar player. I some years prior because he had come to a, a solo work show in Finland and we had to talk and stuff. And so there were different people, you know, various people who kind of, you know, put together a list of potential candidates when they've had, uh, asked them to do so. And that's that's how they usually, I think, they stare situations like that. It doesn't just go, like, find me a guy. it just kind of asks everybody who do you suggest, who do you suggest. And it turns out I was on different people's lists. And I guess then they looked at some videos and, and concluded that, yeah, I could probably play this stuff. So... So that's how that happened, you know? So again, in a way, like I said, what I was saying earlier, the, the work you put in, you know, it can pay off in, in, in unexpected ways, but it will probably pay off if you're, you know, if, uh, of course, for Megadeth, there's a bunch of criteria where I happen to, to fit in, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and so for someone else, it might be something different. And it's also not, I want to say this too, it's also not my path is only really path. Like I oh. said earlier, there's many different paths. You don't need to be a technical drummer. You don't need to be this or that. Like some people do one band, like looking Gojira, you know. Like I don't know if Mario ever played with another band in his life. He might have, I don't know. But, um, you know, he did his thing and looked at how well it's going. So for some people, that works. And, you know, so there's not obviously one route to follow. I think the most important thing, which, which Kiko and I have talked about and agree on, is really the passion, yeah, you know, what you feel inside. um, I'm sure, again, you can relate to this. uh, since You're obviously, uh, you know, I have no doubt as passionate as I am. Uh, It has to be something that you just can't, you know, you can't imagine your life without your drum kit, and you can't imagine your life without music and and somehow being a, you know, part of the creative entity, you know? And I think if you really feel that one way or the other, it'll, it'll get you.
0: That's great, man. Yeah, and um, yeah, you're right. And I, I, I don't know what else I would do if I if I couldn't play drums. Or, you know, right. like I'm, and like now I'm talking about them all the time, doing this podcast. It's kind of like, yeah, it's yeah. And I think a lot of people. It's, it's the same for a lot of people. I think there's lots of people I've known, and they were into it as a kid, and then they kind of grew into an adult, or maybe had a kid or something, and now they they don't play anymore at all, and they just. Got some other job or whatever, and a lot, you know, I think a lot of that comes from the pressure of earning money. From music is not easy, and you do need that break. You can have as much talent and still not get the break. Unfortunately, you have more chance of getting a break if you if you've got the talent and the work ethic. But unfortunately, I've seen a lot of talented guys come and go, and now now I don't even know if they pick up an instrument, which is a shame. But um, yeah, you you know, you've got at least have the passion and the work ethic and and yeah you're a, you're a prime example of that and yeah so you've been touring with megadeth for you know a few years now um i imagine you've played so many shows i saw you play once in cardiff and uh that was a good one that was a really good one um obviously we were on the, the mega cruise together yes and and at the time i was kind of like i guess concentrating on what we were playing i was aware of some of the lineup and obviously you you guys couldn't play because of Dave's illness. And It wasn't until later I discovered that you did a drum clinic on the boat, and I didn't know anything about it until after you'd done it. So I'm absolutely gutted that I missed that because I am sure I would have absolutely loved it. Um, so I, I apologize for not being there. I, I, I wasn't really... I guess maybe the, tic- the, the guys who had bought tickets were more familiar with the lineup. They probably get given the programs and stuff, but I guess we were just in a band. I was more concerned with getting over the border and, you know, the customs and stuff. And I guess we got on and I guess I wasn't really concerned with whatever else was going on, um, as much anyway, but yeah. Have you done many, I I know you've done drum festivals and things like that. So would you, have you done lots of drum clinics, like in in drum stores and stuff like that as well? Was that, was that a unique event?
2: No, no, I've done a bunch, um, It it seems nowadays they're a bit less uh, prevalent in in a lot of countries because I just think that, you know, I mean, what I've been told is that with YouTube and everything just being so readily available, there's less, you know, unfortunately, less demand for people to go and and watch a drummer play at a a music school or a a music store or whatever, you know, which is kind of unfortunate because I think being there live is, is very inspiring, but um, yeah, I did mostly, I did a lot of clinics in the late uh, 2010s, early, I know, sorry, late 2000s, early 2010s. You know, there was this period between maybe 2008 and 2013, 14 where I did a lot of that. Um, I notably did two tours in China, which I'd never been to China. So oh. the first time I went there, I did two full, like, drunk clinic tours across the country for like two, three weeks. It oh was my... pretty insane.
0: I bet that was amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was, it was really amazing
2: and, and kind of like a you know, uh, uh, very like culture shock in, in some ways, but in a good way. I really enjoyed that. Great memories from those tours. And yeah, a lot in Europe, you know, here in the US, there's not so much of that, so I've only done a handful. Uh, it's interesting because, tell me how you feel about this. Um, as a drummer, you kind of used to be, uh, you know, like there's the band to kind of shield you from from the people, right?
0: Yeah, I, I like <laughs> I like the fact that I'm in the back. I do like yeah. that. Um, it's it's. I've I always used to shy away from interviews and things like that. I just used to kind of get up on stage, do my thing. I don't. I don't mind. I didn't mind. You know, I've always quite liked saying hello to fans and things like that because I I think. I think it's really special to have fans in the first place the fact that there are fans is amazing yeah. so i think it's nice to give back to them but in terms of like public and press i didn't like it i never liked having a microphone you know to speak into so i oh i don't do any backing vocals and stuff like that so yeah i kind of like being in the back so yeah i you're, you're about to ask how yeah. would i feel yeah. giving a drum clinic it's not something i would Really like to do, but I think maybe I'll have more confidence now because I speak on I speak on this often, and now there's loads of footage of me talking on the internet. So I guess maybe this is definitely boosted my confidence with regards to speaking. um I don't know if that's the same as publicly speaking. I don't know. I don't know if it's the same thing. But you know, I, I got you know I got a fairly strange accent, being from Wales and. And stuff like that. I've never felt that confident about it. But yeah, now I'm like, who cares? This is me. This is who I am. This mm-hmm. is what this is what my accent is. This is what my voice yeah. sounds like. You know, whatever, you know, it is what it is. But yeah, so yeah. I am, I, you know, I'm, I think when I was younger, I was always a little bit more introverted. I think a lot of musicians are, mm-hmm. maybe not, not so much lead singers. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> probably not. Lot, yeah. I, I was like,
2: yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, they tend to like the attention, and maybe some lead guitarists. But um, I think drummers and bass players are, always tend to be a bit more introverted. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So,
2: exactly. Yeah, oh, yeah. So that's, yeah. That, that's how I was, right? Yeah, and, and so the, the, the whole concept of a drum clinic was terribly frightening to me at mm. first. You know, so at first, when I got offers to do them through, you know, my brands, my my and they would reach out to me and be like, "Hey, you want to play here?" and this and that, you know. Like, be like, uh, no, I'm busy. I have a tour or something. You know, I was always happy when it coincided with the date, and I couldn't make it because that meant like I have to do the drum <laughs> credit, you know? But eventually, that my luck ran out, and I, I started having offers sometimes, and I didn't have anything, you know, going on that I could use as an excuse. So
1: yeah, so it
2: was definitely a you know like like I said, I was introverted as you growing up, and, and not a person who's Used to take and I might to speaking to people, so my first few drum clinics were probably pretty crappy in, in that regard. <laughs> but then I realized that, like, um, what people really enjoy is just somebody going up there and kind of conversing with them. You know? Of course, that's the drumming part, which yeah, you know, people go there to see or whatever instrument it is that you're gonna watch a clinic at, you know? But that part, now, I'm kind of like, okay. This is what I do, so I, I know how to play up. This is fine, you know. Hmm. That's the other part. Like, how do I kind of, you know, put that into a context and have a beautiful story to tell around it or a useful story or whatever. And then I realized that if you talk about things that are true about you know your own experience and then kinda ask people questions or have people ask you questions, you know, very quickly we get to the point where you know, the organizers, of the event are like, it's been two hours, we should probably wrap this up, you know, like, <laughs> it, it happens very quickly, wow. where you're like, wow, we've been talking for a while. And then I would have people afterwards tell me this was so great. Like, this was such a cool conversation. And I learned so much from this. And, you know, or relate to the things I said. And, and so I was like, wow, this is actually, you know, much more than just showing off drums or talking talking about paradiddles or whatever, you know. Because that stuff people can, like I said earlier, you can go on YouTube and, and, and do all that stuff on your own pretty much, you know. Yeah. Not that I recommend I guess, studying your instrument and having a good teacher because I do think that's extremely valuable. But um but yeah, it, it was really the human element, if you know what I mean. And so when I once I started leaning into that, um, which was a bit trickier like in a place like China where you have to go to a translator and stuff that's a bit less Oh, yeah, idiot, you know. Yeah. But still, I, I tried my best to just always lean into that and to just kind of be myself and, and share my, whatever I've learned, you know, throughout the years during this. Uh, people really seemed to to love it, and, and it became a very kind of heartwarming experience for me as well, you know, to see that it touched people and that it inspired other musicians or even people who sometimes are, come to clinics who are not musicians themselves, but you know, who who learn something from the life approach. At the end of the day, everybody's looking for, uh, you know, the basic questions in life, right? Even probably people listening to their podcast are doing that. You know, I'm sure there's a, a number of donors and musicians, but there might also be people who are just trying to figure out where they fit in, how things, you know, fall in place, because, you know, life is kind of a, you know, this, this mysterious thing that you can never really fully get a grasp on. Sometimes you think you do and then something happens and then it turns out that you're all wrong. So, um, so I'm always kind of intrigued by that. And and Mm -hmm. I like listening personally to people from different backgrounds and stuff and how they, you know, make things work for themselves and and find inspiration and find uh, joy in every day because you know, I've had times in my life where, which I'm sure everybody can relate to, where I was bogged down by various things and, and kind of didn't really enjoy my days and, and, you know, truth be told, that can happen and that's okay, but you can't let that take over because life's too short to, yeah, you know, to let those things take over. So now we went on a really philosophical turn, but yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah no, no, I, I really, I wanted to bring this up, to be honest, because... Just even just from you know the the emails we've had back and forth, and you know I've seen a few interviews and listened to a few interviews with you. I was going to say your that your personality and and the kind of it seems like the mindset that you have is just really positive, um, and I really like that, and it's something I'm trying to improve in myself. Uh, maybe I sound like the happiest guy ever doing this podcast, but you know people who know me, you know my family members and my wife probably know. I'm not always the happy chappy that I appear to be. And, you know, I've got quite a lot of history of, you know, I'd say, you know, pessimistic and just being a bit negative about things and grumpy and, you know, nothing unusual. But, you know, the last few years, I, I guess I've been inspired by a lot of podcasts that I listen to. I don't just listen to music, music ones. And I'm, you know, trying to do a lot of things in my daily life to, you know, to Give out more positive vibes, be a happier person, you know, write a gratuitory diary and all this stuff that they say you should do to right. brighten up your day. And yeah, and and, and and it was only this afternoon I came across, there was a, I think it's like a 20 minute interview with you and the guitarist Kiko, and he's yeah. kind of talking to you about that. And I was like, makes complete sense. Mm. And um, yeah, that's a really good one for anyone who wants to kind of delve into that a lot deeper. Um, but is it, is it, if for anyone else who's listening then, and maybe thinks I want to be a happier person in general, is, do you have any tips for, for what they can maybe do to kind of achieve that next level or beyond?
2: Yeah, let's see. Well, I mean, you know, happiness is, 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 is kind of a complex thing to, to define. And, and, and I think the first step would be to kind of figure out what makes you happy, And you know? Some people have that figured out, like I think, I think you know, a lot of people like, like you and I, when you're in touch with the passion in your life, yeah. that's already a big step. Yes, I'm sure you feel the same as me and, and every musician listening here, once you grab your instrument and you go to that world, you know, your worries kind of tend to dissipate most of the time. You know? Yeah. Um, so that's a beautiful thing. So if you don't have any true passion, try to find one. Um, you know, uh, for some people it might be tricky to do that because, you know, we're not all so lucky to have, you know, supportive parents or parents who are, you know, kind of guiding us, you know, to, hey, here's some passions we could look into. And, you know, my parents were extremely encouraging and supportive, and without them, I probably wouldn't be here doing this. So yeah. I will we'll walk to them for that and, and to this positivity, that's, that's part of my life. You know, I think they still value me very much. But, but this, then again, uh when it comes to your question you know another thing is really to kind of i mean this is gonna sound super hippy dippy and cliche but you know the truth is like we forget that life is a gift every day we really do because we get so uh focused on the things that we need to do every day and it becomes this you know hamster, hamster wheel kind of thing uh that we just kind of forget that like look you know like one day, this is not going to be like this. We might not be here doing this. And, and for me, personally, like I've always kind of tried to, you know, go in that direction and have people around me, like including my wife, who's was very wise on all those things to kind of steer me in the right direction. Because between parentheses, truth be told, I'm like, you know, I can be really, really, you know, I can seem like this is the happy guy, but I can be really grumpy and pessimistic and negative, especially in the past. When yeah. I was a bit younger, you know, I, I used to go to negative spaces. That was kind of my comfort zone for me, you know, hence like the whole, like, you know, experimental, like, you know, dark lyrical subjects, like, you know, all that stuff kind of made me feel good in a weird way. So because it kind of was a way for me to express all the not so positive feelings I had and kind of find a place for them. So, okay. That, anyway, parentheses closed. Um, it's really important to kind of be aware of, of the fragility of this all, you know, and with, not, not in a dramatic sense of like, Oh my God, I better do this and that because I might die tomorrow now like that. But, but just kind of keep it in, in, in the, in the back of your mind that like we got it pretty good, you know, regardless of our individual, you know, things that aren't, so great because they all have some stuff probably that would be like i'd love to change this or i'd love to you know blah 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 you know for some people would be like i'd love to have a job i actually enjoy it for other people to be like i wish i lived in a country where it was like in that country etc so you know obviously the levels are always uneven but still just to be alive and to be healthy and to have your you know to have your days where you can do things that you want to do i mean that should be appreciated and what I was gonna say is, for me, that really sprang into reality when my mom uh, got ill and passed away, which I talked about in that interview too with Kiko. I remember that was a part of the yeah
0: the kind
2: of story I told. And obviously, as anyone can imagine, or anybody who's been through this, which most people probably have, when you lose somebody close to you, it's life altering, and it's uh, it's you know, it really sets you to think. Um, my mom was an extremely optimistic person. Um, And the way she dealt with being ill and eventually, you know, passing away was just so inspiring to me. And and I admire her so much for keeping her spirit the way she did throughout what was the most difficult time of her life. And that really just showed me that, like, wow, man, if my mom can be this way, when she's basically, you know, reached the end of the journey and just sees everything just gradually getting worse, because that's truly what it was like, I can't do this anymore, I can't do that anymore, I can't do this simple thing anymore, and it's not going to come back. Mm -hmm. If she can do that and stay optimistic through that and smile and, and, you know, be happy, like, what am I complaining about? Like, what do I have that's that's worth even bitching about for even a half a second any given day? You know, that was kind of like my eyes opened, you know, and I was like, I got to stop feeling sorry for myself because I realized that I really felt sorry for myself way too often and let that define my days, and, you know, let that, you know, allow me to wake up in the morning and already be just immediately, you know, this guy, and this situation, and blah, 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 you know? Yeah. And that's when I realized that it's all about how I react to things, it's not about if stuff's going to happen because it will, you know, my wife has always said this to me, she's always kind of helped this wisdom, you know, look, stuff's going to go wrong. Like no matter how hard you try you're gonna have stuff where all of a sudden it just goes completely sideways and now you have to deal with the situation so it's about how you deal with it it's not about trying to prevent stuff from going sideways i mean sure if you can you do that but sometimes you can't you know? yeah so I mean, that became a new a new philosophy for me in a
0: way. that's amazing man Th- and thanks for sharing the story as well uh, and obviously you know sorry really sorry that happened and you had you had to go through that but you know it's made it's just change your outlook on the rest of your life, and I think that is is a good it is a good lesson to take. So, um, yeah, thanks, man. Um, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, some of the some of the listeners can kind of take something from that as well, and 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 change their life a little bit.
1: Drum for the song podcast.
0: Hi, I hope you're enjoying this episode of Drum for the Song. I just wanted to briefly interrupt the interview to tell you about my patreon page which is a place where you can support the podcast and of course support myself you can um, sign up to one of the three tiers on there there's one that's three pounds a month one that is five pounds a month and one that is ten pounds a month there are loads and loads of exclusive benefits to signing up including bonus episodes merch discounts Christmas card for myself Um, if you sign up to the top tier I'll send you a pair of my drumsticks um, loads of other stuff so go check it out it's patreon.com forward slash drum for the song and another way you could support me if you're interested if you're not bothered about the Patreon thing, if you go to my official website, drumforthesong.com you can send a donation via PayPal so um yeah thanks for watching this and enjoy the rest of the show drum for the show podcast let's, let's go back to the kind of drum nerdy talk then you've mentioned some of the the brands you've used what what drums are you using at the moment and and let's talk about some gear that you use please
2: yeah sounds good yeah yeah i actually started uh with tom up a long time ago they, they had they had kind of the contract with the school i went to. So, this was back in late 93 to early 95. All the kids in the school that we got as students were Tama kids. And mm-hmm. one of the teachers there was also the rep for Tama in France at the time. So, when I came out of the school and actually soon after became a teacher myself there, because I had a spot uh, that you know, we didn't really have anyone for metal. So, I just kind of up there and volunteered, even though I'd never really taught drums. So, that was another baptism by my fire. Yeah
1: yeah you know, imagine yeah you know,
2: i just kind of threw myself into it, like oh this could be a job you know i did that for a long time um anyways this teacher of mine who was also the, the tamar he had kind of you know i i'd become his protege kind of early on he, he kind of saw something in me which you know now looking back i'm like wow he really had a keen eye you know just <laughs> i would have had no idea like why me you know like i wasn't that great at the time at all but anyway he saw something in me and quickly got me hooked up with you know some some beginner trauma endorsements which was like you know oh you can get a a, a double pedal for 50 percent off you know yeah like Like that's the first the first kind of steps right before you do anything i wasn't even playing really any shows at the time like maybe some small local gigs there wasn't much to gain from tunnel but it was just really you know trying to get me started and
0: um, it's great that he believed in you enough to kind of hook you up in that way. At that at that time, because normally, if anyone approached a brand, especially a big brand like Tama, I and mean, they're yeah. only playing local shows, you would, you know, you you'd be lucky to get a reply at all. So, that's exactly. great. he definitely saw something in you then. Yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm super, I'm super grateful that he uh, he did that. You know, because that really got me started. And um, and then down the line, you know, uh, some happened in 95 and gradually evolved, you know, to become a real full endorsement as I was doing more things. Um, uh, and then uh, once we worked at the Auspice tour in the States, at, at the time we had, you know, I know Auspice has done a, a bunch of one off gigs in more recent years, but at the time it was this full cool touring package for, you know, we'd go out for two months in the summer and just hit the entire country with this amazing two stage crazy.
1: Yeah, festival
2: which was an amazing experience for me at the time one of my favorite memories of, of touring ever I bet. Uh, yeah, yeah. so but when we did that uh, with slow work which was in the summer of uh 05 uh i happened to do a, a drum clinic in france one of my very first drum clinics at the time and thomas lang was playing there uh it was a minor and so the minor uh, uh ceo was there as well with him you know kind of uh, doing the, the clinic with him and being this guy there. So I went and talked with them because they had done a call for searching for artists earlier and I had sent him some stuff information about me. So I went and asked him, Hey, did you receive my, you know, the, the thing I submitted? And he was like, Well, if you haven't heard back, uh, you know, maybe you still have to look at it. I'm not sure and stuff like that. Anyway, so we got to talking and I was like, Okay, obviously, I haven't looked at my thing. But... So I told him like what we had coming up you know. oh my bad soul we doing the Austin tour in uh in 2005 he goes i mean in, sorry in this upcoming summer and you know, or we're, we're going to the states and the Austin. he's like okay what's your uh, give me your email again uh send me a send me an email when you get home you know so i did like after the party, next Monday there or whatever i go home send me an email and next thing i know all of a sudden here is a minor endorsement you know because what people, need to understand about endorsements is that you know these brands you know they're not just going to give anybody stuff it needs to be useful for them obviously and so yeah. once you start doing like big level things it becomes very you know use the visibility becomes very uh, useful for them the minor are a great brand they have not use super kindly just like tom over the years I've been extremely supportive so you know those are kind of the two big you know the big uh uh, endorsers that I have that really made a difference. I also work with Evans. I'm not going to go like, on about this for too long so it will probably be boring, but yeah. Evans, come has Yeah. At yeah. interact Software, which is great, uh, Roland E-Drums, which, you know, uh, very great to be working with them as well, um, which happened thanks to Megadeth and, you know, nice. obviously that, uh, you know, visibility and platform I have now. And at the end of the day, it's great because these brands, like, allow me to to do my job without, you know, without having too much financial burden attached to it. And at the same time to really kind of help others too. Like I teach a lot, both on my acoustic kit and on my electronic kit, because I do a lot of uh, lessons uh, through uh, Skype, you know, out of country or out of state. And so um, I can't tell you the amount of people over the years that I've introduced to like new brands or new, you know, even the concept of using electronic kit, which you know, rewind 10, 15 years was still kind of a primitive, archaic concept that wasn't so, you know, so usable, especially for people playing ice yeah, cream stuff. Yeah. Now it's come to a level where I do a lot of my recordings with the role and kit and with tune track sounds and, and people can't even tell the difference. Yeah. Even drummers can't even know. Like, I'll have drummers and producers be like, did you record that on your time, kit?" Like, no, I record that at home using my role and they're like, I would not have known if you hadn't told me. You know, that's how good the sounds are now and, and, and like two types the superior software is absolutely stellar so couple of that with roland's amazing hardware you know it's it's one of the reasons that i'm here today that i've been able to work in between tours and pay my bills to stuff like that and system you know and so the gear does that at some point become really instrumental in you know in this industry we're not as you know an, we're not in a time anymore where bands sell millions of records and you get these ridiculous recording advances, like you know bands like Megadeth and stuff did in the eighties, where they got their recording advance, went and recorded a super expensive album for two months, and then still had enough money to live for a year. Like yeah. that's done. Like that time is over. With the era of Spotify and, and Apple Music, etc. Like that money isn't there anymore, except for a few select. Like the biggest selling artists in the world may be the, the Adels and the Beyonces, but that's about it. You know, for for other bands, even bands like us, it's like you got a lot less, you know, money to stretch over time. So you gotta be out on tour, you gotta be you gotta be doing more stuff. You gotta basically be your own CEO, as I tell people often, yeah. and run your own company. You know, whether you're a drummer or a guitar player, just kind of run your own show and find ways in which you can work because that's really final you
0: want to do this for a living nowadays. Yeah, I I I totally agree with that and I I say if you're a musician today, you've just gotta know how to hustle (laughs) basically. Yeah. Find yeah, find other ways to bring in income and yeah, I i I, I dabbled with teaching in the past with like young kids I used to teach. And I kinda took a big break from it. But it's something I'm talking about maybe doing again via some form of electronic drum uh connection so i was actually i i heard that you use the electronic drums for recordings as well um on one of the other podcasts you did extreme metal podcast that was good so anyone who was who into that i've only listened to the episode you were on but if you're into that kind of music that seemed like a cool podcast and the the host i forget his name now sorry um He drums in Carcass, right? Is that right?
2: Oh, Dan Dan Wilding.
0: Yes, that's it. Yeah. So uh, again, like I said, it's not it's not a world I'm that familiar with. But I listened to that episode a few weeks ago. Um, you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to do my research, you know. And job, <laughs> but that was <laughs> uh, that's another uh, drum related podcast I recommend. I I like sharing whenever I discover something new that I think my listeners will like, rather than hide it away. I'm, I'd rather them go check it out, you know. So um, yeah. it's a it's a really good one. But yeah, so. It is amazing that these electronic drum sounds and I get it's something I've, I've not got into, but I, I'm, I've am i started to try and do it lately with not much success. I'm not very good with the technology side of things. So I've got, yeah. um, I don't know if you're familiar with the brand two box, they're a the Swedish yes. electronic drum company. So I've got the, one of those kits, the old drumming five is quite an old one now. Yeah. So I'm trying to hook that up via MIDI. It's my laptop with a USB and and I, I am—I haven't tried the tune track stuff, to be honest. My brother yeah. recommended I should try the Steven Slate free version to start off with, just to kind of get it. But I'm—I'm I still, I'm still struggling with the mapping and all that. But it is impressive yeah. when I've seen people set it up properly. And like you said, I've even had people locally that have programmed their own drums using a keyboard to like their demos or whatever. And I'm like, I can kind of half tell but it is quite it's quite impressive but i I imagine if you're an actual drummer doing it it's gonna obviously sound a lot more realistic so yeah it's it's amazing that you've done that um and it did i think listening to that encouraged me to kind of right i need to try and work out this stuff i've got this kit that's been there i've never hooked it up via midi ever like the internal sounds are great but obviously if you're recording you want to be mixing you want it and you want to mix afterwards, it's obviously better to use a, a drum program as well. And it's just like a world that I never really delved into, but I'm gonna try. But no, impressive. And um yeah, great to hear that Roland are now helping you out and and yeah, the the hard rate is incredible. And um Yes. Do you do you ever combine like some of the electronic pads in your acoustic setup? Or do you normally do either
1: or?
2: Yeah, I, I, I've never combined them. I've never really had um, a reason to, because you know, I know some guys do like the the sub bass hits, like the yeah, you know, we'll have a patch or stuff like that, or, or to start intros and things like that. We've never really, I've never really had a need for that. I've always tried to keep my acoustic films acoustic. I, I get the cool. question a lot if I use triggers, and I don't. I briefly did have them on my kit, you know, when I first joined Megadeth, because. Um they were used to having them and so I kind of kept them but um we got rid of them quickly after our, our front of house engineers said I don't need them, I'm not using them because we pretty consistent. So I just nice. there's no point in having them, you
1: know? yeah, um, yeah. I was
2: like, okay, off they go. Um nothing against triggers, by the way. I, I think for some styles of music and for some, you know, in some situations they are the ideal solution. Yeah. I've always, you know, tried to uh, drum in a way where with some EQing and compression, even the very fast uh, key parts could be heard sufficiently. I don't know if it was always successful, but that's usually the conversation I have, you know, with a front of house engineer or with a studio uh, producer engineer, whoever it is that, that's recording me, especially if there's going to be, you know, uh, maybe that doesn't have like 240 BPM kicks, so there's nothing yeah. much to worry about, you know, I think the stuff is like 190 200 so i can easily keep that even you know it's not so much of a problem once you start going into like 220 230 240 you're gonna lose a little bit of volume even if you have you know well with most techniques that i have seen guys actually do the the heel toe uh like nick, nick starts from under you know is one of the guys that comes to mind who sat behind my kit once and start doing heel toe at some crazy tempo and it was super loud and i was like Wow. Okay, Wow, that's crazy, you know? That's impressive. I can't yeah. do that. I'm not yeah, I don't do the the, the uh the heel toe thing really, but I tried no. it, but it just doesn't seem to work for me. But I do like swivel. Okay. And, and I can still keep a good a good consistency, you know, up to a certain tempo and and so I just try to make it work, you know, because I like the sound of an acoustic I just yeah. do, and, and, and the, the kits I have, like the, the, I currently play the, the Star Classic Maple for the most part. It sounds so good, the kicks and everything sounds so good. It's like it's kind of a shame to, to to replace the sounds, you know. Even though nowadays you could technically like just sample the actual kick and then use that and trigger it, so it would still be your own sound. But I don't know. There's just to me, you know, maybe it's because I grew up in an era where you know a lot of the stuff I used to listen to there producers are still figuring out what this music even was but i don't know how to produce it you know like like we were talking about you going back and discovering early napalm and repulsion and stuff like they're probably going to be like this sounds like utter shit and these people don't know how to play you know because that's kind of like how it was back then but to me that's also ironically or or whatever you want to call it that's part of the charm of that style of music is that you know, there's this era now, or this vision, where everything just needs to sound super perfect and everything's to a click. And, and I'm curious to, to hear your, your opinion about this because, to me, like, sure, in some situations, that's great, and I get why people do it, and yeah. people get used to hearing this stuff of high quality, and it's cool. But I'm also very relieved to see that there are still bands, current day bands, that are, you know, that understand that things like thrash metal and death metal and and black metal needs to be grimy and evil and, and not really clean. And even rock and roll, you know, like to, to speak more to like somewhere where you're in, it's like, yeah. it's not all about like, it's too shiny and perfect. There's not that much rock and roll left about it, in my opinion. You know, I mean, to a degree it works, but, you know, there needs to be some kind of live feeling and some kind of rawness and maybe kind of teetering off the edge at times that, you don't get when you play everything to like, here's the tempo for the song, you know, like here it is, like to the tempo. You know, I mean, I do it all the time because I have to do it, but yeah, I try to to stick to, you know, I I try to infuse it with as much humanity and and kind of flow as I can because to me, like when you don't watch, say the Stones, you know, Charlie Parker, I mean Charlie Watts, rest his soul. You know, I saw him luckily. My wife and I got to see him a few times when when Charlie was still in the still alive, you know, still doing his magic. I mean, there's something about that that you just can't, you know, you can't change that, you can't replicate that, you know. It's a natural interaction between people, and it might flow a little bit differently each night, so you have some unknowns that don't add up with, you know, video walls and pre-programmed lights and whatnot. But to me, that's part of the beauty of this kind of music.
0: No, it's something I feel fairly strongly about, with, I guess, what you you talking about with the, the kind of extreme metal style, side, style, um, styles, I, I haven't heard enough of it to kind of form an opinion, but it would, it would, I would imagine. yeah, I wouldn't want it to be absolutely perfect and sparkly clean. So that's like a production thing. And, uh, I guess a, the, the click track thing. And I've, I, I have heard that a lot of more old school metal bands are going back to recording albums without clicks now. And I think that's really cool it's probably a producer's nightmare in terms of, I guess, cheating and, you know, copy and pasting things. I, I, I'm sure they don't like that, but in, in, from a listener's perspective, I, I'm, it, it brings a a more human element and I think they'll feel more from that music. And, and, and likewise with the kind of rock and roll and the music I play, we do record to click tracks and but it's not until we get to the studio that I guess we get to a song and we we have to find a tempo for it because we've written the songs organically in a room, yes. you know what I mean? Not to a click. So it's quite often that we find what we think is the tempo on the click and then we get to the chorus or something and we're like, Oh, this feels too slow now, or this is too fast. And then we end up having to, having to kind of change the, the click tempo to move to one section then back and I'm like, well, I'd rather like we have to do that, I think, to kind of find like a middle point. But, I, but live, I've never with this band anyway. I've never played live with a click. And I just don't think it would work. And I, I think it would zap a lot of the energy out of what, what my band is like. Anyway, I'm not I'm not speaking for all bands out there. But like like you said, some bands do it now because the live show is quite often about visuals and like video screens and lights that are, they have to be linked with click tracks and stuff. So, and I, you know, I guess with the bigger productions and the higher ticket price, people are expecting more of a production. And there's yeah. no, I guess there isn't a way around that. Yeah. Um, and it was quite, quite interesting because um, I spoke to, I'm sure you know, you know, Mickey D who used to be the motorhead, drummer, yes. who, he now plays for the scorpions. And we kind of talked about uh, how, how different is the, the show now compared to playing with motorhead, which was very physical, you know, fairly fast, lots of power. And he's, even though the scorpions music is technically, I guess, softer and slower. And he said, because it's all on click and because it has to link up with the videos and the lights, he doesn't really get the brakes he used to have and he's obviously very capable of playing to the click and stuff like that but he said he said it's i find it a lot more difficult to do that because if he needed a break in a motorhead set he just kind of signal to lemmy oh, i'm just going to pretend to tune my snare drum and take a drink or whatever <laughs> and, 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 and it allowed that but whereas all these a lot of i, I a lot of shows now are uh, regimented I guess someone's pressing play at some point and everyone's on click and in ears. And they, I think a lot of people even get cues now as in, I, I don't know, I've never done it. So from what I'm heard, from what I've heard there's, everything's very rigid and there's, there's no room for any flexibility, but you know, I, it, again, that's very hard to do as well. It's hard to pull off. And it's, it's, a, it's very demanding uh, as a performer and as, as a musician. So I respect everything. Um but from a personal point of view, from my from the style of music I play, I I think the music needs a bit more kind of yeah, it needs to keep that human element and breathe a lot more and I think it helps with the excitement. But yeah, I guess metal is a bit different again, but whatever. It's interesting. Everyone has different opinions and certain styles work with it more and stuff like that. And I think a lot of the more modern forms of rock kind of can get away with it and maybe require it more because Mm -hmm. I don't know I'm not really into as much of these kind of new rock bands I guess commercial side the commercial side of rock um because there's a lot of backing tracks going on I'm not sure what you think about that but like I don't know there's a lot of the the, the guitar the guitar is less prominent and like less high in the mix and it's kind of all about with this pad and synthy stuff going on and like I don't know But if all all that's on a track, I guess it all has to be on click and I I don't know, it is what it is, but yeah, it's still challenging. And if, you know, for drummers out there, I think everyone should at least practice to to a click, Um, you know, for people who are just starting out perhaps, because I remember the first time I went to a recording studio, I think I was like 16 or 17, so I was quite young and that. I I played along to albums, but I'd never strictly played along to a click before, and I and I, and I couldn't do it, no. and so and I, it was quite embarrassing. I I'm fine now, but um, it was a bit of a shock because I, I I thought I I could play fairly steady at my own pace in a band situation, because that's all I'd ever done really is played with other humans and played along to CDs on my electric kit, but. Yeah, it's it's something everyone needs to do, and I know we've mentioned it a lot of time on the podcast. But um, yeah, try not to avoid the click when practicing. I don't know.
2: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it's definitely part of the uh, like uh, the base arsenal, of these days. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, um, yeah, we've kind of talked about that. What was I going to say? Yeah, so let's talk about the Dirk blast because yeah, I, I heard about it. I heard, you know, you've got the t-shirt or whatever you've got. And you mentioned it in interviews, but it wasn't until earlier on today and I found you a video of demonstrating what it was. And I was like, whoa, that is so... Like I said, I'm not not that familiar with the music that uses the blast beats as much. But yours sounded incredibly musical. And, (laughs) well, yeah, it was just like the way you broke it all down. And I was like, no, that's really cool. And it made me kind of go... I'd like to kind of figure out how to do that one day because it seemed like it would open up my drumming a lot more. So I know it's difficult to do it without a kit in front of you now, but for anyone who's interested or might want to check it out, how do you describe what the Dirk Blast is and how you came up with it?
2: Yes. Um, it's basically a, uh, it's a rudiment. It's based on a rudiment. So by accent, I believe it is. Um, and The way I came up with it is that one of my teachers um, is a guy named Frank Aguilon, a French jazz drummer, amazing drummer, amazing teacher, um, had said to us, to, to me and my fellow students that one a good way to kind of integrate something that you're studying theoretically into your drumming is to just play it all over the kit for an amount of time you know? yeah. and and he said sometimes it's just going to take you like 20 minutes of doing that and you'll actually have integrated something that's just purely an exercise up to that point or a speaking pattern or whatever to so have integrated that into your actual playing because now you're experimenting across the kit it kind of makes sense but as a young drummer at the time that was a neat concept to me because I had strictly done pretty much what you described which is play with other people, play along to songs, you know. And then I went to school, all of a sudden I studied like this whole concept of like, oh, there's this weird sticking that I've never done. And then after a while you could do it on the snare or whatnot, but now you're like, and now what? You know, now what I do with this thing, right? So he got me to do that, to kind of take stickings of rudiments or various, you know, patterns and just kind of be like, okay, I'm going to move one hand to the top and move one hand to my what whatnot, you know, and just kind of see it. Some stuff sounds shit, other stuff sounds great. Mm-hmm. I was just kind of trying things in. And, and so I stumble upon this thing where, with the slam accent, which is basically a triplet pattern uh, uh, with a slam on each first triplet. I realized that when you move that accent the first hit on the hat and keep everything else on the snare, you know, it kind of sounds like a blast because you have this continued, this triplet on the snare. And then you have a hat, like it goes over it, you know. Not properly a blast beat, because theorists will say like a blast beat has to have every hit on each hand, you know, so uh right. Now I'm having breaks, you know, in, in between the hi hat hits, if you know what I mean. Yeah. But you know, anyway, uh, I was like, this is cool. If so I just put double kick underneath, I kinda of plays the same thing as the as the hands are doing on the snare, tapa tapa ta pa and then you know, now it kind of sounds like this, this beat, right?
1: Yeah. So I, I was just like, oh, this
2: is cool. And I didn't think anything of it, and I and, but I liked it. and started trying practicing it that way. And then with my band Scar, we, you know, we had done a demo and then we were gearing up to do this uh, mini album at the time. This this came out and I think we recorded in the early '96 or not later. That's a year, like self-produced thing. Um, which my parents, by the way, uh, I remember helped us record that and supported us by I mean, just to be able to oh, do nice. it. And we didn't really have anyway. That's how supportive they were. So.
0: Amazing, amazing.
2: Um, yeah, just amazing. Um, so uh, and we had a song on there with kind of a triplet riff, and I was like, ooh, this is my chance to see if this thing will, will, will fit. So as we were working on the song kind of writing it, that became part of it. called Shelly's Dead, which I believe the lyric was... Uh, our singer at the time wrote, was based on the, the Crow movie but at ah. least that time. But, um so anyway that became a thing you know this is way back like 96 and, and again I, this is way before obviously you know youtube and, and all those things i didn't think anything of it but over time i started using it more i used it like you know in later scarf records i used it with solo work i used it like here and there when you, you know, Sidebreed, whatever recordings I were doing. Sometimes it became a tool, like with Sidebreed, a good example. Um, a Swiss band. I recorded an album with them which recently actually turned 14 years old. Came out in 2007 called Antares. And they had a, a song that they sent to me like, uh, you know, among the songs that I was to record for, the album, and it had 280 BPM blast, like, program, you know, because they Rob the, the, the main guy in the band who wrote a lot of the music, like, just was really good at programming drugs and i was like 280 like at the time this is 2006 you know i was like there's no way like i can't even barely play 230 at the time probably it was probably really hard for me to keep up you know that was really fast at the time so now it's like everybody's playing 300 but you
0: know it it baffles me i'm like yeah i don't know
2: (laughs) yeah at the time i wasn't really paying attention much to beat. DMs either I just was, I just got the demo. I was like, "This is ridiculous. I can never keep that, both my hands moving at this pace," you know. So I was like, "Very blessed it is." And it's really you know the riff has some really weird accentuations in it, so I hmm. had to kind of modify it to fit with and do some doubles here and there to kind of make it work. But so it became this go-to thing where like okay, if people want me to do extremely fast stuff that's too fast for me to do like any regular blast or whatever, I'll just use this, you know. Nice. Anyway, long story short, so over time, it became this thing where people started asking me about it. And my wife said, you should make a video. I'm like, okay, cool. I can do that. And she's like, you should call it Third Blast. And I'm like, what now? She's like, yeah, you should like put your stamp on it. I mean, it's something you genuinely came up with, you know, that you, you know, sure. Other people have done similar stuff over the years, you know, which since I've heard people say like, oh, this guy did it something it's similar. I'm um, eating jazz in the 60s. I'm like, yeah, just like everything. There you are know, blast beats and jazz in the 60s, too. So, yeah. You know, just listen to like, this is uh, the Max Rose, Max Rose versus Buddy Rich famous like drum duel album. There's blast beats there. You know? But anyway, so the point was, she was like, you should kind of, you know, make this a thing. That's like your thing, you know? And I'm like, you think I felt like I was kind of like, it was like super pretentious so and like, not going to like, you know, put it in the face of the world that I made this great combination or so anyway of course she was right as usual I was drawing you know <laughs> I went ahead with it I said fine I'll call it the third class." and then now it's like people know me for this you know yeah and the shirts and you know and, and the video gets like a lot of views and, and it's cool I mean it's not for me it's not something like hey look at me you know I'm not like that anyway it's more like here's a cool thing you know maybe you can use this and make it your own. I've seen people do lots of variations on it over time, which I do as well. Like which I've never done videos about, but it's just fun. You know,
1: it's just as a
2: yeah. drummer, it's just kind of a fun thing. And Yeah. It, yeah. That, that's
0: really it. Really, like, like I said, I don't play much music that requires that, but it made me feel like, oh, this is something I could potentially put into my playing. So I'm, I might get it back on next week and try and work it out. But it was fun. And, and it, it 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 had i felt like it had a lot more life to it than what i preconceived a normal blast beat so i think because it must have had some uh, i don't know what the right word is but yeah i just felt i felt something from it so that was cool man so um yeah check check the video out guys it's um it's not hard to find if you want to search for it um is it is it is there any dirt blasting on the new Megadeth album have you managed to squeeze any in
2: that's a big that's a big question right
0: there Dave. That's a big question. <laughs> uh, I, know, I know i know no one's heard it yet but i'm not you know it's not, i'm not asking if i i'm, uh, the song I'm, gonna, title. Say, I'm <laughs> gonna say wait and
2: see
0: okay yeah okay <laughs> yeah man we, well, we're all i think we're all looking forward to hearing that when it eventually um comes out um right. i i should have checked i don't is there? Do you, is there a release date or anything for it yet?
2: not yet um, no. okay I, I I'm fairly confident it's going to come out, you know, uh, hopefully early next year at some point. Exactly when I don't know. That's just kind of my personal hunch. So nothing official
0: there. Oh, no, nothing official. Yeah. Okay. We'll... It's, it's it's moving
2: along well. So and I think I think people are going to be really excited with it. I know
0: we are. So. Oh, definitely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's gonna it's gonna be huge. It's gonna be massive. And yeah, I can't wait to hear it. So um, what else I was going to ask? So we always talk about. And I've had a few injuries from drumming from drumming um do you have any specific warm-ups or workouts that you do before a show or before a session that you think would be useful to share with the listeners
2: absolutely um I, i got injured a few times uh when i was younger um and i i got into this routine of stretching before each show yeah which um uh my wife, who's the CrossFit instructor, as well as uh, my good friend, Mike Heller, who plays drums in uh, Fear Factory and, and also in Raiden, and does a lot of session work as well, Was here in L.A. too. He also helped me get started with stretches, he had a good little uh, routine that he did when. This was actually the tour when I got the call from Megadeth, we were touring uh, the U.S. with Fear Factory in and, and so him and I would do our stretches together mm. for the show, so he kind of helped me get started with that as well. Um, And the stretching is just really good because over time, you know, as much as it can be tough in the beginning, if you've never stretched really or done any yoga stuff over time, it really uh, has a massive impact on your flexibility, which is when you think about it as a drummer, especially as you get older, that's the thing that's going to become a problem because, you know, I mean, I'm sure you know it, like you're reaching for symbols, you know, you're doing fills, you're twisting your body and then, Sometimes there's the visual element, which now, for example, in my case, with Meg, that's really play usually pretty big stages. If I just sit and play, it's going to be boring. So I try to do, like, you know, Tommy Lee stuff, whatever. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Add yeah. Some, some visuals right, to make it kind of fun. Of course, Mick Menza, uh, you know, among others, set a great precedent there, so I have some, yeah. some moves in tribute to him as well. And and what, you know, he used to do on those specific songs. Anyway, the stretches are, are just massive helped for me in that, you know, to just kind of get ready for the show. Yeah. Um, and, and someday I'll probably make a video about them and, and post it, like, kind of what my fresh year is. But, and in general, just, you know, to avoid injuries, look, it's, it's really simple in my book. It's like, you got to be healthy. I'm sure you and, and, and any drummer listening to this, can relate. you know, when you play rock music, any form, not just extreme metal, uh, it's, it's it's an athletic endeavor you know to be on stage for any length of time like even if you play a 30 minute set sometimes and you go for it it's usually a shorter set you cram as many songs in there as you can yeah uh, you know to make it worthwhile for yourself and for the fans who who are going to see you so it's like non-stop cardio and exercise for that amount of time and if you don't take care of yourself you can probably get away with it in your 20s to some degree you know i know i did got injured a few times, but still mostly got away with partying and yeah.
1: not really
2: doing much of warming up, you know, here and there. But, yeah. but
1: yeah, as I mean, you get
2: older, you know, I'm 46 now, turning 47 in a few you months. Um, you know, you better take care of yourself or it's not going to happen. You know, you're going to have serious issues. And so, uh, yeah, I try to get a lot of sleep, especially when I'm on tour, you know, like I'm just kind of sleeping like nine, 10 hours a night, you know, just way more than at home. But, I could, and I was like, hey, I'm going to get to sleep. I'm going to be rested so that I have energy for the show. Yeah. It's
0: um, really important. Be healthy, you know.
2: Yeah, super important, right? Uh, people forget about the resting part, but really your body needs to recuperate, especially when you're on the road for a length of time, and, you know, you get battered after a while, like five, six weeks of playing, you know, every night or every other night, you're going to start doing it, right? So, yeah. So, and just, you know, eating healthy, too. Like, personally, I've been, mean, you know, uh, vegan for a long time now. That's massively helped me, uh, you know, yeah, uh, make, make my body healthy and just feel like a consistent flow of energy throughout the day. So I, for me, that's been a really good uh, change. You know, I remember how I used to, you when I was eating all kinds of stuff that I don't eat anymore. Not just meat and dairy, but just you know, a lot of crap and just really not paying attention. You know, eating chips, and yeah. candy, and you know, just all kinds, which is still do occasionally i'm just way more careful with it you know um, right. yeah so it's just you know the biggest advice is that is just kind of be aware that your body is you know needs care when you do this
0: not indestructible
2: <laughs>
0: yeah yeah no, I, I, um, I know yeah i knew you were a vegan and it's something i i think three years i've been vegan for three years oh cool so um but I've i've noticed a massive change it's difficult to explain isn't it for when you go from eating meat and dairy and stuff you kind of get used to how you feel with that but it's not until you stop putting all that stuff in your in your body that you realize ah i can actually feel quite good every day (laughs) yeah and when you write you write about energy levels and digestion and things like that it's, it's like, my, like, I think people think I'm making it up a lot. So it's great to talk to you about this publicly because, obviously, people who are not vegans or whatever, or vegetarians or whatever, a lot of them kind of think maybe don't take it so seriously in terms of the health benefits of it. Um, right. And I know, and I know, not everyone is vegan for that reason, which you know, or or plant based, or whatever the other term they use or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I've I definitely feel 100% more than well if more than 100% better every single day um mm-hmm. just from not eating that stuff and you know, yeah. i'm not saying, I, I try not to talk like we don't talk about it a lot on the podcast but i think you're probably my first guest vegan maybe so thank you so, <laughs> but yeah no, it's, great. it's great yeah so you know i'm still i guess fairly early in 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 it but I, you know i'm i've been dedicated to it and, you know, my band members are always cool on the road and I you know, was trying to make sure there's some stuff on the rider and things like that. But it's, it's kind of being the only one is hard. So I don't know if you've been in that situation or whether you've been in bands when other members are eating the same stuff as you, I guess, makes it easier. But um, that's the, the difficult yeah. thing for me is the traveling aspect sometimes. You can, certain countries yeah. maybe haven't caught on as well as other countries. And when you, you're yeah. stuck, stuck at a petrol station or a gas station or whatever, and there's literally nothing apart from potato chips or whatever, or, or Oreos. And, like, yeah, that stuff isn't isn't good, but, you know, you can have a little bit, can't you? You
2: can have a little right. bit. That but, I yeah. can definitely be tricky as a story musician, you know, but uh, I'm glad to hear you're, you're, you're vegan as well, man, because for me it's like, you know, look, nobody wants to be told what to do, right? And yeah. I'm the first person, I'll say, that, you know, like, don't tell yeah. me what to do or I'll do the opposite. You know, I still have that kind of, like, ingrained in me from my youth I guess like this rebel attitude oh you want me to do that fuck you you know well, well I think, no, I'm, I, I think I'm everyone not running has around. around yeah exactly I'm not, yeah. I'm not running around preaching and telling people what they should do but what yeah. I found is that um you know just doing it has inspired more people than I can probably think of right now to, to switch their eating habits to become either vegetarian or even vegan you know which which is mind-blowing because Again, I don't watch around pitching about it. For me, it's very much, you know, the reasoning behind it for me is very much no, it's very much nothing to do with health. Actually, I'm very much against factory farming and yeah. the way we treat the planet and animals. I'm, I'm 100% radically against that. But yeah, I, I, can, I can get pretty heated about that if, if somebody challenges that part of it, because I'll be like, no, that's just wrong in my view. Yeah, but and that's so that's my reason why I went to work. The health benefits are just this, like you described, this beautiful bonus of like, wow, I feel a trillion times better. My energy is consistent. My body feels healthy. I can I can play drums very really better than I used to. It's amazing, and it's not supposed to be the case because I'm older. I'm supposed to struggle more, and it's actually easier for me now than it used to be. So that's that's crazy. But um, but yeah, you know, just doing it and. It's, change and just showing people because a lot of people are intrigued by it and then they'll start asking you questions you know it kind of happened with Kiko that way Kiko is pretty much I wouldn't say is like full-on vegan per se but 90% vegan you know? that's
0: interesting so okay. and
2: that happened because after I joined the band and I was vegan at the time and I just started actually before that I was vegetarian okay I just started cutting out there just and all the options that are available now you know. yeah um so uh so he started asking me about it and so how do you get your protein and how do you this and that and you know i started trying it and like let me try this let me try that and now he's like on the road eating tofu and tempeh and lots of vegetables and i'm like wow like you know this is without me ever saying you know you should consider being vegan you know? <laughs>
0: yeah no that, that's that's interesting actually yeah because i think people People have probably seen the odd meme online, or they've been told to watch this movie, and I think it's difficult to get people to kind of watch movies because that was the thing that really made me say I'm going to make this change. Like me and my wife did it together. Be we like, we really want to do this, don't we? And we were like, yeah, we we need to try it. And but it was the it was the movies that really made us do it. And um, but yeah, I think people are there's there's an element of people that are not interested at all, which is fine. And then there's, there's a, I guess, a small population of people that kind of feel like it probably is the best thing to do. I wouldn't know where to start. Um, it seems like it's going to be too much of a change. It's going to be too hard. Or So I think, yeah, I think this people learning that other people around them are doing it and they find it easy, makes them try things and yeah, just ask you, yeah, ask questions and like it's never been easier to do, obviously, it's it's becoming. You know, every every couple of months, like my supermarkets are being filled up with more new stuff that didn't exist before um, and stuff like that, and it's just, you know, especially in the the US and the UK and I think Germany is pretty easy. Um, I don't know about the rest of Europe in comparison. Um, But yeah, it's it's never been easier. But anyway, let's not talk about veganism anymore. (laughs) So I don't want people to switch off, (laughs) but uh, give it a, you know, it's all good. But yeah, it's nice to talk to another human about it, another drummer about it as well and uh, and how it's helped. Right. So I've got a few questions from some of my, I've got a Patreon page. So one of the benefits of one of the tiers is that I get to ask my guests questions, if you don't mind, I've got a few questions. Is that okay? Oh, cool. Yeah. Great. Um, so the first one is from Kenny Kendrick, who's a, another drummer. I think he's a big big Megadeth fan as well. Who is your favorite past Megadeth drummer?
2: Oh, great question, Kenny. Well, uh, it, it's, that's a hard question, but um, I, I have to go with Gar Samuelson just because he's the first one I heard, and that, has, that carries sentimental value to me on top of the fact that Gar was just very unique drummer. Um, uh, as I learned his parts, you know, now being in the band, I have to study in detail like what he did. It made me realize even more how unique his approach was and how he had these very uh, unique rhythms, like this kind of stuttering rhythm that sounds almost like a double bass rhythm, but isn't quite a double bass rhythm. Mm. Uh, and then there's this fill that's actually very comparable to what, what a Dury Blast is. It has less snare drums. There's this thing where he goes between a crash and a snare and, <laughs> you know, and puts a kick underneath the crash, which he uses a lot. Um, so yeah, I just thought, you know, wow, just, I remember buying P-Souls on vinyl at the time without really knowing make that was. I just found it secondhand and thought the cover was really badass. So I, had to buy it. I probably <laughs> bought it for like two bucks or something like that and came home and put it on. I remember just being bored by that, not just by the music and the band in general, which was Course, like wow, you know, but uh just the drumming just seemed really different to me, you know, and it just seemed like Gar had something else going on than, than the other drummers I already knew at the time, which wasn't that many. But so yeah, so you know of course I love nick Menza and I love all the drummers that have been in the band. At some point they've all brought their own style, but uh the Gar stand up
0: Cool, cool. Great answer, great answer there. Um, I guess we've touched on this a little bit. This next one's from Paul Hutchins. The range of artists you've played with is huge. Devin Townsend, Townsend, Royal Dane, Dave Mustaine, plus all the various bands you've been in. What have been the biggest challenges when switching from project to project? Wow, that's a good
2: question, Paul. Um, I think it's just a learning process about finding out what a specific uh, project needs, um, which ranges very wildly from do whatever you want to do exactly this and anything you need you know, yeah. uh, uh, and which is kind of the fun part about it. It's, it's, it's part of the things that I like about playing with different people is that it's never the same thing. Right. And, uh, for instance, you know, I'll draw an easy comparison between say negative death and, let's say, World A. So um, with Megadeth, obviously, there's this huge legacy. And I know as a fan, when I go see Megadeth live, I want to see the songs the way they are. You know, I don't want to see some guy who thinks he's like better than all the covers that have been in the band before and puts like last and in all the songs and stuff. Not that that would fly with it anyway, but I'm just saying, yeah. you know, yeah. Like I know what, what that means. So I go in there and I really try to do the songs justice in the original compositions. I know knowing Dave, how much thought went into that and that none of that stuff is by chance, you know, everything's there for a reason. So I really stick closely, you know, very closely to the original drums. Of course, there's little flourishes here and there that I added over time and that become part of it. But, you know, on the other hand, you go to something like, let's say, World In, which was a session recording I did, um, where Peter Richards, my, then you know, bandmate in soil work, was writing most of the music and also producing the records. So I went in and it was basically a blank slate. So here's a song. Let's check it out. I think, you know, let's try this kind of beat. Let's try that kind of thing. And then, you know, maybe let's try something different here and just kind of work your way through it. So that's like the complete opposite approach where it's like, let's just try stuff and see what happens. And uh, there wasn't any previous legacy there because world had you know obviously worked with sanctuary and more, but hadn't really done a solo record before so other than there's going to be this amazing voice there it was between me and peter to kind of figure out what he had in mind when he wrote the songs for world and, and and again that's the beauty of it you know as a musician when you get to explore that's one of the most fun things and even with my own music you know I have my own band called dance C where I play drums and, and also the guitar and I write like all the music and and uh, the lyrics etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, it's about exploring it's about you know let's try this and see what happens you know that to me is very very exciting and yeah. so I'll just sit down and improvise something on drums and record it and then see if I can turn that into a song you know nice that's it's how you do it backwards no, I, like Plus, I like that I like people start with riffs right yeah yeah so, but I like to do it the other way around because I'm like, okay, I play guitar. I'm not a great guitarist at all. I, I could barely tell myself a guitar player. I use it mostly for writing and recording my own stuff. But uh, uh, but I'm a drummer. Yeah, that I know really how to do. So I'll just start with drums. That's a great answer. Anyway,
0: that's a good question, Paul. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. That's a good one. That's a, and I, I dabble in the other instruments as well, obviously, with you know, a guitar and a bass and stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I never, never fancied myself as a vocalist, mind. But in terms of songwriting, it's it's not something I've ever. I've since I was a teenager. I did when I was a teenager, dabble and write, I wrote some songs. But that could be a good way of doing it. To start with the drums, and then add stuff on top. So yeah, I might, I might, uh give that a try and see what comes yeah. out comes out the yeah. other end. I'll I'll definitely need a, a singer though. So if anyone wants to <laughs> sing on my album. Give me a drop me an email <laughs> but um, yeah i know i don't know it's this deep voice unless they want every song to, unless i want everything to sound like barry white i can do barry white quite well he's my karaoke song <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, I'm Yeah, it's uh, funny um right oh this is another one from paul hutchins actually so and i'm letting him have two this is something I've, i i haven't actually had a chance to look into so i'm glad he's asking this You are part of the Metal Against Coronavirus project, which seems to involve about a million musicians. It would be good to hear about that. I don't know what that is.
2: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I I don't know a whole lot about it. Um, I just know that they contacted me, um, I guess this was a few months after the pandemic kind of hit and we were all locked down at home. And uh, they were putting together a project uh, they already had a bunch of people on the list there, and if I wanted to be part of it and they're donating part of the money to research, you know, related to coronavirus, so I figured, hey, you know, this is a great cause, I'm sitting at home, I have time, uh, I knew some of the people that had already said yes, so that to me was enough to be, okay, this is cool, and uh, so they sent me a song, and yeah, which was released, I think, maybe a month ago or a little more months, I forget, but Ah, it's cool. just been good to see, to see people come together. Um, I think uh, one of the, the beautiful things, you know, in, in a broader sense, not just for this project, that, that you can get being quote-unquote famous is that you can use your voice to, to do good. And that's really something that I hold close to my heart, you know, because um, with rock comes, like, this... Side dish of you know uh, this cocktail of like personal wealth and all that stuff. And while I love being able to pay my bills doing my job, personally I'm not the kind of guy who uh, you know who wants to have like 12 Lamborghinis in the driveway and all that stuff. You know, I mean, sure, I'd love to go drive a Lamborghini on the racetrack one day, like any you know boy, I guess, growing up with Ferrari posters in my bedroom, but. That's about as far as that goes for me. You know, I, I, I again to go back to what I was talking about earlier with my mom and all that stuff. You know, you realize that things are just things. You know? the real value of life for me, which I often tell people lies in human relationships, you know, the things we share together, whether it's our passion for music or art or you know, any form of anything, you know, the beauty of the world around us to make sure that Not very metal stuff to say, maybe, but but that's that's how I feel, man. Deep inside, like that's that's true beauty for me, and that's true worth, and and no money can buy that. You know what I mean? So to be able to use my platform to support something like research for you know coronavirus uh, vaccine at the time, obviously, and just started, we were far from having a vaccine, Um, and, and there's always you know things to be funded when it comes to something like this. Or yeah. for that instance, you know, I post a lot about animals too, because that's something that I hope goes to my heart, you know, the state of the planet, what's going on with, you know, whether or not you believe, you know, this or that, like, it's undeniable that there's a lot that could be improved on the planet. So mm. those are things that I'm very happy to, you know, put my quote unquote fame to use, you know, because I do have people paying attention, I do have people looking, and, and that's great that's Actually, I can maybe bring about even a little bit of positive change. Yeah, you know, even if one person among all my followers knows, like, ah, oh, you know what, I'm going to donate to this animal sanctuary. Like, I'm going to give them 20 bucks. That's wonderful. Yeah. You know, yeah. I I couldn't be happy
0: That's amazing, man. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Thanks. Now I'll check that that song out that you did. Then actually, that sounds good. Um, one from Dean Monahan. He's in the states as well. What size sticks and brand do you use?
2: Dean, excellent. Uh, I use, uh, I've been using Tama sticks for a very long time. I can't remember exactly when I started. Um, and they are basically two bees. So oh. Tama, uh, Tama lingo, they're called 216 bees, but that's just their own way of naming it. But, and they are made of Japanese oak, so they're quite... Uh, you know, I wouldn't say they're like super heavy sticks because I've definitely tried heavier ones, but they're very uh, uh hard sticks, so they're pretty durable, which I like. Yeah. Um, I play ring shots, so you know I used to when I was playing Hickory and things like that, I used to just destroy sticks like by the minute. And at the time I was paying for them too, so that sucked. So I was really <laughs> looking for a stick to kind of resist the ring shot and the intense playing, you know, and just the sheer amount of hits you get when you're playing last beats and death metal and stuff, is, it gets pretty crazy. So these sticks have proven to be just very durable and great. And and uh, it took a long time, but they're finally being distributed worldwide. Um, you know, it was kind of, I think, a side thing for Tama to do sticks for many years. Yeah. But they've taken it to the next level a couple of years ago. So you can you can find them uh, probably, you know, you can request them at your local dealer. I know they're distributed in the States. Great. Um, I also sell uh, Find ones on my website and stuff on
0: my, yeah. my website. Oh, there you go. That's that's great. I, I I definitely remember trying Tama Oak sticks when I was a kid, not that size, but they must have been available somewhere. And I've tried them down the line. And I, I do remember them being, you know, they lasted a long time. So that's good. So not nah, cool. I didn't know you used those, but it, it totally makes sense as to why you would. And, and they seem to do the job. So that's all you need. Um, yep. This is the last Patreon question from Mark Porter, who's in Wales like me. What, what are your top five Megadeth songs to play live?
2: Ah, great question, Mark. <laughs> uh, listen, uh, it kind of changes, but okay, top five. Definitely Wake Up Dead is in there. Cool. Super fun song to play. Uh, first song I ever heard by the band, because as I was singing earlier, I bought you songs. Threw the needle on that, and that came up. So nice. instantly hit me. Uh, just a great lyric too, and it's just you know it's just a uh, classic Megadeth song for me. It has a very unusual structure, which a lot of Megadeth songs do. Yeah, it's just fun. The grooves are just great. Great, great. Uh, um, I love playing Hangar Eighteen, which is usually the song we open with. The great opening track for a show, uh, of course. You know the fast stuff. Like, come on, like. Rattlehead mechanics, you know, that's a joy on am right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. those are like not always in our set, but when they are I always, you know, it's a good challenge. Uh, um, but on the other hand, you know, a song sort of like something more from the turn, you know, well maybe not turn, but something more from the modern era of the band like trust or a tool a moment. Uh, trust While- I
0: love I love trust, man.
2: I yeah, yeah, hmm. I, you know those songs are, are are iconic in a different way, and and um, you know it's it's fun. It's really fun to try and replicate all the little details of of what Nick did on that song. For example, um, there's a lot of little things that you know, and you learn about a drummer's playing that way too. You learn about how he's thinking, and, and in this case, also Dave, because I know Dave is, Dave is very involved with all the details on every song now that I've been done. You know, having done a recording with him, I know how much he doesn't just listen to like the guitar and his vocals or something. that really cares about all small details. Great! So it's for me that's fun. You know, to just kind of be like, this is the way this was intended to be, and I'm gonna kind of just put all my swing I can summon into that every night. So, yeah, those are. Yeah,
0: no, awesome, man. Thanks, for, thanks so much for that. Um, sure. Just, just before we end, I know we've we've gone on fairly long, so thanks for your time. I do a quick um quick fire round so it's just a 10 questions you answer as quick as you can i'm going to add an 11th question today because i've decided this morning i'm going to add one so if that's cool so um do you prefer hot or cold weather
2: oh well definitely hot i'm here in la so that tells me something
0: (laughs) that tells me something exactly yeah i wish i was in la right now Uh, (laughs) daytime or nighttime
2: uh, I would say daytime. Actually, I like to be, even though I often fail at it. I like to be an early riser and you know, enjoy
0: the cool. party. Cool. Sweet or savory?
2: Ah, oh, that's extremely hard to answer. Can I say both?
0: <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah, why not? Yeah, whatever. Cool. Uh, guitar or bass? Uh, probably guitar, since I also play that. You know, I mean, I,
2: I had. My demos
0: too, but I usually hand it off to someone who can actually play this. Cool, man. All good. Uh, Nylon or wood tip drumsticks?
2: Uh, Wood tip for sure. Tried the nylon in the past, but I hated when they go flying and then you're stuck with it.
0: I know. I I, I haven't tried one for years and years, but I remember when I was a kid and I used to buy different drumsticks all the time just to try them out. That always used to happen. And i'm like why why haven't they yeah. why haven't they improved this yet so they, they, exactly. they stay on i don't know um this is always a tough one john bonham or neil piet oh uh
2: well without sounding disrespectful here because that's really not my point for me that's not so tough i would definitely go with john bonham uh, for two simple reasons one of the reasons is that i never really Listen to Rush over the years. Okay. Uh, the other reason being that John Bonham's style just speaks more to me personally, but that, you know, again, I just want to make it clear that I'm not disrespecting you in any way and he's like, an incredible drummer and, you yeah. know, obviously, he's on the cover of magazines for a reason. I've since, you know, grown to, to enjoy some of their music a lot and have done covers and nothing by respect, but I always go back to, like, what kind of fueled me as a person growing up to become a drummer and to remain a drummer and to go for it. And my dad, early on, played me like and so bottom has always had, like, a soft spot in that's my true. heart
0: for a yeah. lot of these people. No, that, that's, that's quite, that's quite a uh, familiar, I think, thought with a lot of people, but, um, including myself, really. So, um, but yeah. next, sorry for asking.
2: No, no, no <laughs> worries.
0: Be- Beatles or Rolling Stones?
2: Uh, well, I'm kind of partial to the stones. They're my wife's favorite band. Right. And she's begged me to see them. Growing up I heard more Beatles because my dad's a huge Beatles fan, and so are some of my friends. And so I heard a lot of their stuff, obviously, as well. But um but somehow the dirty gritty, nasty rock and roll vibe of the stones.
1: Yeah, man. Seems a
2: bit, you know, a bit less, dare I say pretentious. Ways and a bit more, uh, you know, let's jam together and put on a, a good vibe, you know. So that's
0: again, no disrespect to the
2: people at all because I think we disrespect the Beatles, so. No, exactly.
0: I'll, I'll go with Stone. That is good good answer, good answer. Um, clear or coated drum drum heads? I didn't ask uh, Definitely
2: used. clear uh, okay. on the Toms,
0: uh, you know, just the style I think. Do, do you have a uh, favorite model that you normally use then on your Toms? The Evans model. Uh,
2: live, I'll use the double ply heads like EC2, which are uh, Evans EC2, which are a bit more durable. You know, they'll you know, carry me through at least a couple of shows. Cool. In the studio, I tend to go for thinner heads, uh, just because you you know, in the studio, it makes more sense to be able to have more of that sustain and warmth. Yeah, uh, I don't think in a live show you're gonna hear much much of that. Uh <laughs> yeah, you, you so, just,
0: yeah. yeah, you want durability during a show don't you and uh yeah. Cool. That's that's yeah. interesting, interesting. Um big or small venue.
2: Oh man. Uh you know, I love the intimacy of having the crowd really up close. It's something I always miss on big stages. I love the big shows. They just did, you know, twenty something of it. Yeah. And uh, but I'm always like, you know, 15 meters away from, from the crowd, you know, if not more, you know, or 20 meters, I don't know. It's probably, I don't know. I'm starting to think in feet now, but it's too long. (laughs) It's like, it's, 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 it's it's weird, you know, it's like, as much as it's great to have all this space and to have this gigantic show, like as a drummer, you do feel quite isolated from everything. So yeah, I can kind of be your own little bubble. And uh, one time I got to play a, Sorry, this is going to be a longer answer now, but we did a gig at St. Vitus with Megadeth in 2016, which is a small 250 capacity club in New York. Oh, it was wow. kind of like an underground gig we were billed as and the Rattleheads, which oh. I guess they used to do shows like that back in the day, like Form of Geek, like Secret Geek, so yeah. they went, you know, We had an opportunity to do it in between other stuff, so they wanted to do that. And the gig is actually on YouTube now. That oh, nice. was so fun for me because as much as, you know, the, there was no backstage, you know, the area where we got changed was a nasty, filthy basement. And, mm-hmm. You know, you had all those bad points. But then being on stage felt like, in my mind, I was like, you know, wow, this must be what it was like to play a Megadeth in 1985. You know, it, did. it must been yeah. almost like up on my bass drum and then the crowd right there. It was so
0: cool. I love it. Oh, that would have been amazing. I'll oh, check that out. I didn't know that existed. That's so cool. Cool. Um yeah favorite time signature to play that isn't 4-4? Four,
2: four. Ha ha! Uh, I've been working a lot on 5 okay. in the recent years. It's very intriguing, so I'll say 5-4, you know. Cool. Obviously, you can you can take the whole uh, time signature concept way down the rabbit hole, and some of my favorite drummers like Morgan, Audrey, uh, uh really are amazing at that, but but yeah, five, I'm at five right now. That's a good place for
0: me to kind of, you know, get better at it. Nice, nice, nice. Um, and the one I've just added today, just out of interest, who's your favorite drummer of all time?
2: <gasps> <laughs> Can I pick 12? No. Um... <laughs> you know, again, it changes. Like There's so many great drummers, but... Even just sticking with one of the most influential ones to me is, is very difficult because there have been a few that, you know
1: hmm.
2: that just were really instrumental, you know. And and then even somebody like, you know, as I'm thinking about like even someone like Prince, you know, like Prince was the first guy that compelled me enough to wanna buy a vinyl.
1: And he yeah. played drums
2: on most of his stuff, you know, not not on all of it, but a lot of the early stuff is just him, you know going in and doing kind of pretty much what, what we were just talking about, which is like, I have a sign I had, let me lay down the drums and then I'll put all the instruments on top. You
0: know? Nice. Yeah, and yeah. I
2: got and three hours later, you have like, when those priors, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, I could say Prince basically, yeah. but I'll stick I'll stick with, you know, I gotta stick with Dave Lombardo just because I think, you know. Yeah. When I, <laughs> I heard those, those beats on like, you know, Radiant Blood is up at Heaven specifically, know, also the previous records and the latter records, but those two specifically, I think just really I was like so pumped, you know, yes. as a teenager. It just got, it gave me this energy every time I put that stuff on. I wanted to, like, you know, just take on the
0: world. <laughs> amazing, amazing. I'd love to get Dave on one day. It would be great as well. So I'll have to.
2: Oh, man, yeah. I mean, haven't hit him he's up yet.
0: Yeah, he yeah he's nice. getting on. Yeah, that would be cool. That would be cool. Right. And so this is the fight the end of the podcast, but I ask everyone this question. So apologies in advance. If you could start your own band with yourself on drums, not including members of Megadeth or soil work, who would you have playing the other instruments? Dead and they can be dead or alive.
2: Um, (laughs) <laughs> I love this. Sorry. <laughs> uh, okay. I gotta try and do something that makes sense, but man, you know, some of my favorite people are like, like I would love to do something with Justin from Godflesh. You know, I don't know if you're familiar with this band. Man.
0: I know the name uh, of the band, but yeah, I don't know their music, to be honest with you, no. Yeah.
2: Uh, yeah. He was He was briefly in a Death. At the time when they did their first album he plays on the a side and then went on to do you know, he did it he plays he has a million different projects and different styles of music he's one of those guys but he's uh-huh. amazing amazing composer so i think justin would be great you know uh this is totally not going to fit but on this other guitar I great frederick from the sugar you know it was a good friend of mine but just somebody who I've had amazing jam sessions with and, and a, a sweet guy and an absolute genius and, you know, just out of this world, you know, talented. So I don't know how those two would work together, but you can figure that out later.
0: Oh, yeah, I don't don't worry <laughs> yeah, about right? that. Right. Yeah, yeah.
2: And then uh and then on bass i probably, you know, I've had the chance to play with some amazing bass players like I've done a lot of stuff with, with Steve Giorgio and you know, he's a good friend of mine he's one of the best out there It's not the best, you know, but but I've also worked a lot with, with Shane Embury. We have a bunch of projects together. He actually plays in my band, and then see him. So I'd bring I Shane probably just because he's a lovely guy and, and you know just somebody I grew up listening to. I love him. So now I have to come up with a vocalist, right? Oh, my God.
1: Yeah.
0: That's always difficult. This is
2: going to be tough, man. Um, <laughs> this is going to be really tough. Oh, I know. I'll bring another friend of mine, uh, uh, Devin Townsend, just because he can sing anything. He can, oh, yeah. He can sing melodic, you know, rough vocals. And he's yep. just also a genius and an absolutely lovely guy. You know, I think that would be the most important thing for me, working with people and just be like who they are as musicians but who they are as people, which friend very true for when you're being in bands with people, you got to get along with them.
0: Of course, yeah, That's I think that's half the... that's half the most important thing is yeah you know they've got to be decent to their instrument but yeah getting along with them is especially when it comes to touring i think it's arguably more important yes to some degree if you want to keep 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 the the thing moving and keep it going i think uh you you need to have that relationship and yeah i think it's and, and sometimes you don't jamming in the room together is great but until you go on the road and spend all those hours on buses or in vans or planes or whatever. I think that, that's when you realise <laughs> if you can, if you get on with someone or not. So yeah, it's all, no, it it's, all it's all a learning curve. It's all a learning curve. it's rock and roll stuff. And um yeah, fortunately, I've always be, always got on with everyone. I've been in bands with, so I'm very lucky. i'm Very lucky. So I'm,
2: I'm well, sure that's, that's probably one of the reasons why you're here today. You know, I, I always think that about myself too. Like if you're able to fit in, and you know. Make the other band members feel comfortable about what you bring to the table, then you know yeah. you have a good
0: chance to get it Well, yeah. Hopefully, they feel the same way about me. Anyway, I don't know. I was, <laughs> still, I, I was talking about them, but uh, yeah. I, no, I, I guess I'm, I'm still I'm still doing it. It's difficult in my band because we're all most of us are families. So there's my dad and my two brothers are in my band, and then we've always had a, 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 a singer that isn't related. So I guess we have to get on. But I guess we do have those kind of family brotherly little squabbles every now and again, <laughs> but right. you know, it's, it's always, that's, um... that's beautiful though,
2: man, yeah. <laughs> in a band with their, with their family members, that must be a very deep thing.
0: Yeah, it is amazing. And it's like, we, I've mentioned this a lot of times, and I know my dad is really proud of playing with us and, and it's it's great for us to kind of spend the quality time together with with our dad that we missed a lot when we were young because he was right. he was you know he was he was touring with motorhead for about for 32 years so my entire right. life he was a kind of away a lot so yeah it's great now i mean you know we, we had 18 hours in an airport the other day to spend together <laughs> we had we had an issue with the flight so we were oh. stuck, stuck in paris to go airport for 18 hours so that was
2: oh.
0: quality oh. time <laughs>
2: Not the most
0: fun one to be stuck in either. Dress. No, absolutely <laughs> not. I don't, think any, I don't think any airport is fun. But yeah, um, yeah but that was definitely definitely a horrific uh, day. But anyway, uh, anyway, yeah, anyway, yeah so I just wanted to thank you really for doing this. Um, I know it awesome. ran a little bit longer than I predicted, but um, it's because you've been such a great guest and I really appreciate your time. Um, and I wish you well with the future with, with Megadeth. I really look forward to hearing the new album. I'm sure pretty much anyone that is into metal music is looking forward to that. Uh to see what you guys come up with. And yeah, it's just been great. And hopefully people will learn a lot from this. You know, they'll be interested in what you had to say. Check out some of the maybe the earlier stuff you mentioned and some of the YouTube stuff on your website and so yeah. Um yeah, just thanks again man and for being a great person and hopefully if not before I'll catch up with you. A, a grass pop festival, two thousand and twenty-two, and um, uh, we can share a, a vegan burger or something like that, maybe. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that, hey, would a cool. <laughs> that would
0: be cool. um Yeah, that'd be man, great, great man. um Cool. Well, yeah. Thanks again, and have a great day in LA and enjoy the sunshine. And uh, I'm gonna go to bed now. So uh <laughs> I'll make sure this saves on my laptop, okay? And uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna hit the hay, but. Thanks, thanks so Dave. much,
2: Dave. really oh, appreciate your time and amazing interview, man. Blessed, I had a blast.
0: I'm glad you enjoyed it as well, and, and yeah, I thoroughly awesome. enjoyed getting to know you. And yeah, just, just speak to you and keep in touch.
2: Yeah, man, absolutely. I'll send you my uh, cell phone number too. Once uh, you know, once we're done with this, uh, um, when we are at dress pop, we can yeah. connect. Make sure that we can say hi. in the This would be great.
0: That'd be amazing. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Dick. That's amazing. Right. Speak to you soon. Cheers.
2: All right.
1: Take care. Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye. Drum for the Song
0: Podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of Drum for the Song Podcast. If you've enjoyed this, please consider liking the video and subscribing if you're watching on YouTube or subscribe and follow whatever you get your podcasts. If you could leave me a review or comment, that would be fantastic too, as it helps other people discover this show. Please also consider sharing this with any family members or friends who might enjoy the content. You can also follow me on social media at Dane underscore drums or at Drum for the Song, or search for Drum for the Song on Facebook to follow the page and join the official Facebook group. If you'd like to support the podcast, you could purchase some merchandise from drumforthesong.com or consider supporting me via Patreon from just £3 per month for additional exclusive content like bonus episodes, video calls with myself, competitions, discounts and much more. Any additional support is always greatly appreciated but I would like to give extra special thanks to my top tier Groove Master patrons, whose names are listed in the description below. My name is Dane Campbell, and thanks so much for watching or listening this far. If you're a drummer, don't forget to drum for the song.